0: Hey, welcome to the 244th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout-out to Dave McPhail and Andrew logan They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Currently looking back at the original Moon Knight comics from 1980. So check it out. It's cool to, to go back and see how they hold up and so forth. And sometimes I talk about movies like older movies and classic movies. You get it. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you could also help out by going to coffee.com slash Gman from Heck. you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. That is ko-fi.com slash Gman from Heck. All right, so what are we going to talk about this week? This week's movie feature is The Northman. North, Northman, Northman, The Northman. Yeah, we'll we'll see what I have to say about that. It's kind of weird because I watched it Monday. I watched it Monday night since it came out, whatever, a couple weeks ago now. So now I'm going to have to think back. It's like, wait, when did I watch it? So we got that. And then, uh, as far as TV, a couple new shows this week. We have Made for Love, the Kristen Milioti, uh Ray Romano show is, is back for season two on HBO Max. So I, I, I really dug the first season, and I did, I did see, like a headline. CNET kind of refers to it as like HBO Max's a uh, take on like Black Mirror. I, I can kind of see it because at first when I. I I saw like HBO Max is getting like a Black Mirror type show. I was like, wait, what's that? And I was like, oh, I'm already watching that show. It's like, yeah, I guess it is kind of like that. So I'll have to talk about that. And I'll I'll kind of recap the first season, whatever, and talk about the first two episodes dropped. So I really like it. More more on that later. Uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth also started Sunday. So this is going to be like one of those where I'm a week behind because I think it's like the episodes drop every Sunday. So by the time you listen to this, Episode 2 is out yet. I have not seen Episode 2, so we'll talk about that. It's basically... You may have seen the movie by with the same name from 19, 1976, the David Bowie movie, so there is a, a connection to that. Is it just a remake? Is it a continuation? You'll have to listen and find out. And then uh, we have... Um, Oh, man, I don't know about this. We'll see. Right now, tentatively, I may talk about the second episode of the flight attendant. Actually, I don't even know. I don't know if I'm gonna really touch on it. Yeah, maybe I should just. I don't know. I mean, maybe I should just talk about it here. I don't think I'm gonna cover this show uh, on on the, the podcast. So I watched the second episode. So I'll just briefly talk about it now. I'm ki- A small part of me is kind of interested after watching the first season. You know, seeing like what's gonna happen with these characters. The problem I have is it it just kinda gets so absurd. Cause like in in this episode, Kaylee Kuko's character, I mean, she's a recovering alcoholic, which, you know, that doesn't mean anything, but she's kind of a she kinda has like a bumbling nature. I mean, and she the, the whole I think angle or the attempted charm of the show is she gets caught up in this like murder conspiracy, you know, CIA, all the deadly international killers and all, all this crazy espionage stuff when she's just like a regular person. I mean, her, her life is a mess. She can barely make it through her life. And then she's trying to deal with all this. So now she is somehow, you know, she became an asset for the CIA because she travels. They're like, okay, we want you to kind of keep an eye on this guy if you see him, but don't get involved. Things start escalating. There's, and, and it's just, it just starts, it's so like absurd and it just gets out of hand. Like there's this, this guy that she, she starts following this guy. I don't remember if it was this episode now or last episode. And she's so blatantly, it's so blatantly obvious that she's following him. And, you know, because I think, oh, now they're mixing. She's wearing like this bright red jacket. I'm like, okay, how obvious is that? And the shots that they show, whether it's for the convenience of the shot or to show whatever. She's, she's like not that far back. So if the guy, if he just like turned his head a little bit, like, Oh wait, what's that red following me? And Oh, here, there's that person I was just talking to. Why is she, why is she still there? So it's just, it's just a little ridiculous. So I, I'm probably going to watch You know, the, the third episode is now out. Cause the first two dropped the first week. Uh, I finally watched the second one and then I haven't watched the third one yet. So I, yeah. So I, I don't think I should cover it on, on the show because I I don't, one, I don't know how many people are invested or interested. So I don't want to take up time and have you, you know, have you have to fast forward or something like that if it's something you're not, not interested in. And two, because I don't, I don't want to cover something. I know this isn't necessarily the right thing. Sometimes you have to cover what people might want to hear or what, what is, is hot or whatever, but I don't want to talk about a show if I'm not like totally into it because I feel like it's going to be a disservice to the show. Last thing I want to do is like poop on on something that someone else really likes. So if I'm not quite feeling it, because you know someone if if you're watching a show, if you're like, oh, I think it's hilarious, I think it's great, Kaylee Kugel is is the best, she should win all the awards. I don't feel that way right now. So I I you know, yeah, I don't want to rain on anyone's parade or do anything like that because you know if you love it awesome i you know i want everyone to love something and and i want i would i want everything to be successful too so yeah i don't think i'm gonna cover it so i just yeah i'm we'll make that decision scratch it because there's plenty of other stuff to talk to so we should probably just get to it yeah moon night oh my goodness there's gonna be a lot to say about that and everything so let's get to the news because this is already so so there's been some some scheduling changes with with different people different companies warner brothers is moving Shazam Fury of the Gods back one week. So it's going to, instead of being released on December 16th, it's coming out on December 21st. And the main reason most likely is because of Avatar, the, the way of the water, because <laughs> that, that's coming out. So at CinemaCon, they I guess they showed some footage for Avatar 2 and everything like that. Um, I think we're going to get a trailer this week. And to be honest with you, you know this Avatar is something that I have zero interest or excitement for, absolutely none. I could not, I couldn't care less. I could care less. I couldn't care less about the sequel. The first movie, I when I saw it in the theater, I was like, yeah, this is pretty slick. This is cool. And I think I I like 3D. You know, I'm a sucker for 3D movies when I when they were more prevalent. If given a choice, I would pay the extra dollar to whatever to watch something in 3D, even if it wasn't filmed in 3D and it was just like modified or adapted, whatever, uh, converted. I, I like 3D. I, I've always liked it as a kid with, you know, red and blue and, you know, watching the old like Creature from the Black Lagoon with the, you know, cheesy glasses that barely even worked. But I think for me, it feels like Avatar was, for the time, it was pretty cool in 3D. And then uh, I, I remember my mother in law somehow she had it, a, a copy of the DV, a DVD and she wanted to watch it and show it to my daughter and everything. I was like, okay, let's watch it. I think my daughter watched it. I don't think she, she wasn't super into it. Maybe. And watching it in 2d, I was just like, Hmm. And you know, even the story was just okay and everything. So, but you know, people love it. I mean, it was huge. So maybe I'm just wrong. I mean, I, I'm definitely obviously going to watch it, especially if there's you know nothing else coming out that week. But we'll, we'll see. So that that's um, the trailer's coming out. I should probably watch it and talk about it. And maybe I'll be like, holy crap, I, I'm a, a Avatar fan now. So we'll see about that. Yeah, Shazam's moving back a week. And is it going to make any difference? Maybe, maybe not, not really. I mean, one week. But I almost feel like they're different audiences. And, and because the first Avatar came out so long ago, like how many people are, you know, still whatever interested or, you know, thinking about it. And then, you know, the people that want to see Shazam, you know, I, I feel like that's like a, a, a different thing. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Cause you know, I, I, I feel like just a whole superhero vibe or craze It's is like such a big deal now that I, I think that that's, I feel like that's gives it an advantage that people are going to want to see that versus like avatar. And I just wonder, like, Kids these days, I mean, how many of them know what Avatar is? You know, have they seen the first Avatar? Are they gonna be like, isn't that an anime? Like, what are you talking about? So, we'll see. Some other, other changes is a uh, Ant Man, Wast, Quantumania and Marvels. I saw on one of the hate sites. <laughs> this is so funny. I actually, I did not click on it, but I I saw. A, I just could not believe this. So they they pick like an unflattering like a surprise shot of Captain Marvel, uh, from Endgame, and it says Marvel dumps Captain Marvel, replaces the Marvels with Ant Man three. It's like they did not dump Captain Marvel, they're they're switching the two. So Ant Man and the Wasp now is coming out February seventeenth, twenty twenty three. The Marvels is coming out July twenty eighth, twenty twenty three. The report that I read said that. There is no like real reason for it. It's just uh, Ant-Man and Wasp was a little further in production. So they're like, hey, let's just release that first. You know, makes sense. But if you think about it, so the Marvels is coming out in July, July, summer, summer release. That's huge. July released. It's, it seems to me that they're probably looking at like, that's going to be the bigger movie. The Ant-Man movies have been good. They haven't been like like huge, you know, in, in terms of the box office so it almost feels like to release Captain Marvel in in February that that seems kind of weird. I mean now everything is so messed up with the release you know but but still it kind of feels like that's the real reason but whatever. so it's just it's funny <laughs> these sites. I saw another one it's like John Stamos has been cast as as Tony Stark. Oh <laughs> uh, so I was just like no, he hasn't or whatever i was like this is what it was like he's gonna be doing like a disney world pl- is not, i mean i love me, i love john stamos i love uncle Jess. have mercy <laughs> jesse and the rippers i was just talking about full house with, with a couple of my students the other day uh so i google search john stamos tony stark and he's cast he's gonna be voicing Tony Stark and Spider Man and his amazing friend. What are they like the, the the CG kids like show? <laughs> but I, I I wouldn't mind seeing John Stamos and a uh, could he do Tony Stark? I don't know. I mean Tony Stark's kind of a kind of a a d kind of a jerk. So I don't think I wouldn't want John Stamos to play him. But he he could do it. But these these websites they, they always crack me up. And again, this is like the news on on Facebook. So. Uh, i don't know uh star wars celebration there is a, apparently the panel lists that, that are, are have been released and there might be a little little spoiler for a show coming out um it's not not huge i mean i'm you know me i'm not a fan of spoilers there's something else which, which i forgot to mention but it lists uh tales of a jedi animated series so that could be cool uh i just hope hope that it's like worth seeing, and by animated series does that mean CG. Because man, if they did like old school like two D animation, that would be awesome. But I have a feeling it won't quite be like that. I don't know why. I mean, I guess is it just not cost effective or whatever cost efficient. So we'll see. Tales of the Jedi. Um, hopefully, that would be cool because I still haven't finished like Star Wars Visions. You know, that's what it's called, right? They were cool, but I think for me that the fact that there's you know they're they're not canon you know it's just here's just these random stories cool let let people have at it do what they want that that's awesome but sometimes i just want something that's a little rooted you know more that that's gonna have some some weight so we'll see uh so the other um spoiler thing that i'm not gonna spoil completely there's a doctor strange tv spot and i don't watch the tv spot so much anymore what kind of bothered me a little bit. And it was, was it on a news thing? So it was from, it was actually, I'm going to call them out, whatever. Comingsoon.com.net. I forget if they're .com or .net. But uh, Coming Soon, I don't frequent them really. I, I have from time to time. Um, I haven't lately. So like this this whole news page on Facebook, I don't know where, how this is generated. Because, you know, there there's these like two or three, which seem like they're hate sites and coming soon is not one. I mean, coming soon is is, is I would say definitely le- legit with with their coverage, as far as I can recall. But these other sites, oh my gosh, they hate like everything. It's like they have such a burning hatred for this stuff. I feel so bad. It's like, why do you hate it so much? And if you hate it so much, why would you want to spend so much time talking about it? Uh, you know, like me, I am not a fan of baseball. I think baseball is the most boring thing to watch. No, no offense to anyone. If you like baseball, that's fine. You know, whatever. You know, some people, especially like in the Midwest, what else do they have to do but watch baseball? Yeah, you know, I came from the Midwest, so I, I, I get it. But I wouldn't sit here and talk about like what, what I don't like about baseball, whatever. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> they're so, they're so angry. Oh my gosh, it's like I feel bad for them. But it's, it's anyways. What am I getting at? So, coming soon. They spoiled TV spot shows blank and blank for Doctor Strange. I was like, man, I don't need to see that. And so I'm like, you, oh, I'm shaking my, f-. so I, I, I clicked. I, I gave him a click. I watched the the, the TV spot. I'm like, yep, yeah, okay. So, I, I'm yeah, I'm not going to say anything else, but. They're there, so cool. I want to be I want to walk in a theater this week. Is it coming out this week? Yeah, I want to go into theater and be like, Holy crap, there's Papa Smurf. <laughs> I had, I don't know why, Papa Smurf. I just I didn't want it, I didn't want to pick someone Marvel and then have it be like, Oh crap, he really they're really Miles Morales is really in it, and I just spoil it by randomly guessing. And now, I, people are gonna think that I spoiled it for them. I'm, know, I'm, I'm assuming Miles Morales is gonna be in it. Although that would be that would be the opportunity to do it. Multiverse, uh, the Batman. I still haven't watched the Batman again. I, I want to. You know, since it's on HBO Max, I do think I'm gonna get the the 4K release. I'm tempted for the the Steelbooks because the Steelbooks are what the cool people get. You know, I, I, I like, I really like the Steelbooks. There's something about them. I, I don't know what it is. And I maybe it's because. The, the limited factor, the limited thing where I know that there's not an abundance of steelbooks. You know, when a, something comes out on Blu-ray, you know, like, okay, maybe if, if I wait six months, I can probably still get a copy. You know, there'll be one sitting on the shelf at Target or wherever. But the steelbooks, once they're sold out, and, and the thing with the steelbooks that, that kind of drives me nuts is they're not consistent. Sometimes they'll sell out before, like online at least, they'll sell out before it even – Sells, you know, like it, pre-orders will will sell out, and then maybe you can still pick one up at the store if you go there. But the other, you know, but then sometimes it'd be like six months later, be like, oh, it, they still have it on, on Steelbook. I didn't have to get it day one. But anyways, what am I getting at? Oh, so I still haven't watched the Batman again. I I want to, uh, but part of me feels like, well, maybe I should wait for the the 4K, because the thing is, you know. Streaming. I'm not gonna get in this whole debate. Obviously, physical media is better because when you're streaming, are you watching it fully? You know, 100% full fledged HD. Whatever depends on your internet speed, and you know it may drop down a little bit. Believe me, I I know about that. There's it's some my internet sometimes is so friggin inconsistent. It'll be like it be awesome one day and then it's just like lagging and then yeah. Anyways. The Batman, it's official. <laughs> My voice just sounded weirder. There's going to be a bat, the Batman sequel with uh, uh, what's his name, Robert Pattinson, and Matt Reeves is, is going to be back, he's going to be writing and directing it. So, everyone, you know, or not everyone, but a lot of people are like, Oh, we should get the Joker since um, he's in all the movies, right? Right, <laughs> I'm not spoiling anything, uh, but I'm hoping he they don't use the Joker. Let, let's let's let's. Get a break from the Joker. Let's let's leave him be wherever. And I think Matt Reeves has talked about wanting to do Mister Freeze, trying to do Mister Freeze. So I think that could be cool. You know, we've had Mister Freeze way back, or maybe we didn't. Uh, quiet Place spinoff. So they're doing a spinoff movie. You know, there's still going to be a Quiet uh, Quiet Place three. Quiet Place two spinoff is going to be called A Quiet Place Day One, and that's supposed to come out. September 22nd, 2023. So that, that that could be fine. I mean, I, I'd watch it. I just have to say, so, you know, we've had two movies. They were both good. And, you know, we're, we're getting a third one for some reason. And now we're getting technically a fourth one if you count the off. I'm just like, you know, be careful. Just keep, you know, make sure it's quality. Make sure they're good. Otherwise, you're it's going to saturate the franchise. And people are going to be like, no more walking dead let's talk about that i man i i kind of wish i was caught up um i mean i guess with the walking dead show i didn't love it all the time because you know sometimes it was just it, it was just a little too tv you know it was just it wasn't quite uh you know getting me you know super excited or anything so i am so but i don't even know how many i don't even know what season it's on right now it, is it it's over right did it just end i have see, i have no idea and, uh, Fear of the Walking Dead, I don't even know how many seasons, the last time with Fear of the Walking Dead, they're like on a boat or they're leaving on a boat or something like that. And I'm like, that's, that's a brilliant idea. But obviously there's pirates, you know, whatever people. And by pirates, I don't mean like, argh, maybe, you know, I just, you don't know what I'm saying. So anyways, there was going to be a Carol and Daryl, uh, show, spin-off show. But apparently, that's not quite happening. So Melissa McBride is dropping out of the Carol and Daryl show. So I, I read, I heard about this the other day. I read about it, and it seemed like because the show was going, I don't know if the show is going in Europe or if it was a filming. Either way, or both, if the, the show and the filming were going to be in Europe. Basically, Melissa McBride is like, uh, no thanks. You know, I I don't I. Don't really want to go to Europe right now. It doesn't really work for me. You know, it could be who knows, maybe family or what other obligations or you know wh- whatever. You know, it's like I don't want to relocate just you know do this show. Thank you, awesome. Thank you for for giving me the opportunity, but I I can't do that. Apparently, what I just uh, saw like right before recording, people were like attacking Norman Reedus. They're like blaming him for the show taking place or filming in, in, in Europe. And, uh, the walking dead, someone executives or AMC here, they're like, dude, they're like, he had nothing to do with it. It's not him. Stop attacking him. He had, not- it's, it's not because of that. And Jeffrey Dean Morgan, he even, he's like, he's like, you guys are so toxic. He's like, this is like, you know, he's like, like some cursing and stuff like that. But it's like, he had nothing to do with it. And people are mad at him. I thought everyone loved Norman Reedus, Norm Reedus. And, yeah so it's, it's just crazy but they're like you know maybe we can still find some way to tell her story or Do you know who knows whatever but yeah it's it's I you know yeah it, it, it's a touchy situation you know maybe they're you know maybe I don't know if she has any kids or, or like maybe kid or grandkid or other you know someone's cousin or sister or someone is having kids you who wants to uproot and change everything I mean I maybe would if, if you paid me enough money but yeah, so this just seems, seems kind of, kind of, kind of weird that uh, people are just so, so angry. Oh, I'm kind of angry now because I just realized there is, I guess, a second trailer for, uh, Rescue Rangers, and I didn't watch it. I was gonna watch it, I, I didn't. Apparently, Will Arnett is gonna be like an evil Peter Pan, like a, a Peter Pan who grew up and now he's just evil and mean or something like that. So I'm looking forward to that. I think I talked about it when, when the trailer first dropped. I think I wasn't like a huge fan of the show just because of I, I wasn't a kid, I guess, when it came out or whatever. I, you know, I was doing other things. But I I like the idea. I, I'm really stoked on the idea that one of them, I forget which one, is CG, got like CG surgery. And the other is like 2D animation. So we're going to have a mix of the two. I, I think that's, it's a, it's a, maybe it's a gimmick. I like it. I think that that's kind of clever. So I think that's cool. Some unfortunate news, maybe. The Batwoman, or the Batwoman, the Batwoman, Batwoman on the CW, the CW, has been canceled. After three seasons, it's not happening. And apparently there's like a big uh, cliffhanger for the last episode. So that that's unfortunate for them because, you know, I don't watch a show. I tried watching, I don't even, actually, I never even finished the first season. I, I, I just realized that I didn't finish the first season. I watched the first episode of second season. So I'm like, Oh, we got a new, new Ryan, Ryan Bailey. Was that, that her name? Got a new Batwoman. woman. Check it out. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I can't watch this. So it wasn't my thing. Just, I thought, I thought the other characters were just way too over the top and cheesy. Just, just did not feel right for me. It wasn't what I wanted, but I don't want the show to get canceled. I mean, if people still liked it, if there are fans, it's, it's a bummer. What's uh, more of a bummer for me is Legends of Tomorrow has been canceled after seven seasons. Yeah, the last season, I wasn't super crazy about it. But I, as I kept saying, I like those characters. And it's just it's too bad. I'm trying to th- even think how it ended, if it was like a, like a send-off. I don't think it was like a cliffhanger ending or something like that. But it's just too bad when these shows end, and then like that's it. So it's like there's no closure. You know, sometimes... A show knows and they can prepare for it, but yeah. So so that that's too bad because you know especially seven seasons and then that's it. So I mean you got to do what you got to do, I guess. Um, Blake Lively is apparently going to be directing an adaptation of Seconds by Brian Leomalley. I think I've read that. I'm pretty sure I have that that graphic novel somewhere. I I, I should should check that out, or maybe I'm thinking of a different Brian Leamali. Because so Brian Lee O'Malley did uh, uh what's Scott Pilgrim obviously the object of this I'm saying I'm pretty sure I, I've I've read this the the main character she is given the opportunity to like be able to fix mistakes by I think like writing in a notebook and eating like some sort of like magic mushroom or something like that which is why it's called Seconds I guess because you got maybe a second chance I don't I think I read it I think it came out in 2014 so I, I need to look. But my, my books are all scattered. And, and maybe I left it at the Comic Vine office. So I don't know. We'll see. But but that's cool. Um, she's going to be directing. It doesn't mean that she's necessarily going to be in it. So we'll see. I think she's supposed to be doing Lady Killer. The Joel Jones I, and Laura Allred um, color. I I think that's going to be cool. I am really looking forward to that. Because that, that was a a, a great concept in, in the series. So Lady Killer is this woman. like I think it was in the 50s. She's like a regular housewife. But she's really like a like a killer, like a hired killer, like assassin. But, you know, she poses as like a regular 50s housewife. And, you know, so no one knows, like her husband doesn't even know. So I, I think that that's, that's really cool. Not that I think killing is cool, but I, it was a good, good, I mean, and Joel Jones art is just, I love her art. I mean, it's just so amazing. Speaking of comics and art, Frank Miller is starting a comic company. Um, actually I forgot what it's called. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, he's gonna be like the president and editor in chief. And then what I'm really excited about, Dan DeDio is gonna be the publisher. So I I I have nothing but positive things to say about Dan. I I think he is he is the nicest guy. Maybe not maybe not nicest of all time. Super nice guy, hilarious, super cool, very down-to-earth. All my interactions with him have been just spectacular. I loved his his books that he's written. You know, he he it was and it always was kind of surprise he always would take kind of like kind of obscure characters. You know, he wouldn't like he didn't write for like the big guns and I think because of that, you know, the the books didn't sell as much, I'm assuming. Because these aren't characters that, pe- that the general populace really cares about, so I love the fact that he's going to do these these smaller characters because that's what he was interested in, that's what he had a passion for. So that's cool. I so I'm I'm super excited that you know he he's he's got this gig and uh, you know so if you're a Frank Miller fan, if you're looking for more like Sin City. I think there's gonna be like more Ronin and you know who knows what other stuff he has you know ideas for. So that that could be cool. So I uh, expect to hear more about that, I guess. And then uh, the last bit of news, comic news, and this is a this is a bummer. You know, this it, it happens. It's it's unfortunate. It sucks. Neil Adams. Neil Adams. Amazing. He's he is like the definition of legend. I mean, he is uh just such such a amazing artist and creator. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure I had a phone interview with him. And, you know, so it was, it was just, and that's, I was surprised because he was, oh, I don't remember what it was. It was a, I think it was a Superman book. And I remember, you know, DC, they're like, hey, do you want inter- to, you know, do, have a phone interview with him? I'm like, uh, he, he's actually, I'm actually me. I get to talk to, to Neil Adams on the phone? Pretty sure. I, am I just crazy? But. Yeah, so he, I mean, he was very cool talking to him on the phone and everything. I I probably still have that audio somewhere. So I just feel like, I, I don't know if there's any interest in this. And like, you know, some of the interviews I transcribed and everything and kind of, I, I still have the audios that I, and I don't know if that's something that I should put out like on, on the Patreon. And and maybe I do like a separate thing. Like maybe not have that as a secret podcast from heck, but maybe just uh just you know also put it on there as as a thank you for you know those people who are supporting the show again deeply i'm i'm touched at the support that you know that i can get some and i i know not everyone is able to but it means a lot that those who are are able to so I, i might do that put put maybe put up the audio i've been saying that but it's like on a hard drive from my other laptop so i'd have to find that um so yeah that that i should probably do that like soon because it you know, it's just even though like the the heart of the content's been out there, you know, been published and transcribed. But it's, you know, I, I think there's another thing to actually hear them speak about it, like hear their excitement or lack of excitement or whatever, for what, you know, what they're talking about. So, yeah, I should start doing that. So another reason if you want to support the show, you, know, you can go to Patreon. And uh, with that, it's it's time to move on. So that's the news for the week. All right, let's talk comic books. At Image Comics, there was Bloodstained Teeth, number one. So I I tr- always try to read the, the number ones at Image because you never know. And there's been times where I haven't read something and then it's like you know six months later, seven months, you're like, oh, this is the coolest comic. And I'm like, dang it, I missed out. Now I got to try to catch up. Anyway, so this is by Christian Ward, art by Patrick Reynolds. I'm trying to think of like what Christian Ward has done. I know... I don't think I've ever like spoken with Christian Ward, but I feel like I'm trying to think what else Christian Ward has done. Does it say in the the synopsis um, Eisner winner, um, co-creator Odyssey? Maybe that's it. Maybe it's from re- reading the Odyssey. Od- Odyssey. I think wasn't that with a uh, Matt Fraction also. Anyways, what this is about? Let's see what does it say about. It. I'm always I never read the synopsis, and so I'm always curious after I read the issue to see what this is. So, Christian Ward, Eisner award winning co writer of Odyssey, Invisible Kingdom, The Machine Gun Wizards, returns the image with red hot artist Patrick Reynolds, the mask, for an all new ongoing series, a fast paced 100 bullet style crime saga with fangs. Atticus Lone, mythanthrop, criminal, a hole, and vampire, lives in a world where blood isn't the only thing vampire isn't the only thing vamps crave and for the right price he'll make you a vampire too after all immor- immortality isn't cheap so it's kind of interesting um with vampire stuff it's like okay you know we've seen so many vampire books and and um i like little monsters you know which is basically vampire books you know that's uh the jeff lemire dustin one and then now we got this another vampire it's like come on how many vampire books you know we had american vampire which i still need to get caught up and in, in finish that off but this is interesting, you know the art. The art kind of has like a, a nice gritty, but not too gritty feel. You know, it, it's 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 a good. I think it's a good mix. Everything and the colors just just really fits the vibe of the story, or, or creates a vibe. You know, whatever. So and and as the synopsis says, so you got this dude because you know it's almost like you know vampires are this whole other thing. It starts off like this one. Um, he turns someone into a vampire. And it's this young person, and you know, they because they're like an influencer, and then right away they they post a picture with the fangs, like fang hashtag fang life, and he's just like, he's just like, so like, what is you know, kids or whatever, you know, youth or millennials or whatever, you know, or whatever. So there's that, and um, and it's just you kind of see like the different like rules and regulations about because basically, like, first born. They're like at the top and they're the only ones that can, t- can turn other people. So like if you get turned into a vampire, you can't just go and make other vampires yourself. So it's only these like elite vampires. So this dude, he, he, Atticus Sloan, you know, he's turning people into vampires. And basically it's like, you know, you got to pay me. And and also he gets a cut of like whatever profits they make for like the rest of their lives or whatever. So, you know, if this is really a really good deal for him. And obviously, you know, this is probably like a big, huge no-no, but... He don't care. He's gonna do it, but uh, unfortunately, other people might care. So um, things aren't gonna to go too smoothly. So I'm 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 curious to see where where this is gonna go. Um, then there's Ghost Cage issue two. So which I didn't realize this is issue two of three, and uh, I didn't finish reading the first issue. So I mentioned you know I the art is so good. It's it's. It, it, it's like a, a manga, you know, it, it kind of has a totally manga feel, it's black and white and, you know, just the effects and the lines and it's, everything is, it looks so good. Uh, it's black and white. I think I said, I don't know. Um, but the story, I'm not quite sure about the story. And now here's the thing, the super uber silly problem that I have is it's a long comic. I think it's like 48 pages. So both of them were like, like double size issues. So I'm looking at, this is a three issue series. This could have easily been a six issue series, so you get your money's worth. You know, this is a five ninety nine comic, and you're probably like, holy crap, five ninety nine for a comic. But this is like a double issue. So if you think about, you know, how much single issues cost or whatever. There's a lot going on here. So I think because of the length, and then by the time I, I read this, it's like, man, I have so many other, I got to get through all these comics, or if this is the last one, or, you know, just... So it's just a stupid part uh, uh, for me, and... It feels like there's just a lot going on because, you know, this is a brand new world. is new situations. Who are these characters? What's their motives? And, and you know, there's a little bit of like the sci-fi aspect to it. You know, futuristic this or that. And just trying to keep up with, like, where is the world? What's going on? I'll t- 100% admit, as I'm reading this, I'm kind of like skimming through a little bit. Because at some parts, are, there's a lot to read. And, you know, I know it sounds silly. It's like, oh, Tony, you don't know how to read? You can't read when there's words on the page? You know but there's just a lot, lot to go on. And so as I skim, I'm obviously missing out on important details. Cause then I'm just like, okay, wait, who is this? Right. But I'm, I hate to say it. I'm just kind of like, I'm look, marveling. It's like, wow, this is, this is cool. Look at that. Wow. What's going on? I don't know, but man, that, that thing is huge. And oh man. Yeah. So I was kind of skimming through the second issue and there's, it's, I, I like the character designs, I just really, but I, I almost feel like, you know, with this main dude, like, talking, I'm like, I, am I coming in, like, the middle of a story arc? It's like, who is this guy that has this power, and, like, what, and by power, like, position of power, and so you should be reading that, like, more carefully than I am, because I'm, I'm a, a doke, a doke, I'm a doke, I'm a dope, I'm a dork, uh, so I'm a doke. Uh, Gunslinger Spawn Issue 7 I keep saying that, the only reason I keep bringing this up is because it's Brett Booth, Brett Booth doing the art and I, I love his art but I didn't I don't think I, did I read the first issue? I, I'm trying to think of which, I should look up which issues I have, which ones I need to get, but part of it is because I don't, I'm not up to date with Spawn so I feel like it's not accessible to me and you know whether I'm, I'm right or not I don't know, maybe someday I'll, I'll get caught up but anyways, Brett Booth, is super nice guy. So she should, we should all be supporting him. I should be supporting him. Monstrous issue thirty nine came out. I'm still so behind. I I think I'm like on the teens actually. I I need to read that. But I'm I'm super. I think it's super awesome that this this book is still going. So I hope you are supporting that because. It was an amazing book, gorgeous art, and Marjorie Liu, another super nice person. I miss talking to her. You know, I, I've interviewed her. She was, like, one of the first interviews I did at, at San Diego Comic-Con. It was, like, right after... I think it was when she was going to be writing NYX, like, the, the second... The, the series or whatever. I, I was... Yeah, that was such a cool... It was, it was, like, a great experience. You know, I wasn't really interviewing anyone, and I was like, hey you know i'd like do an interview because i it sounds cool what you're doing and anyway so super nice uh another one you know please support her if you haven't read monstrous get the traits and you're in for a treat because it's just gorgeous super cool world and just a lot going on uh then we have newborn issue six newborn did i It sound like i said newborn did i read this oh yes i did read this i'm like wait a minute so Newbern, um, what's interesting, so we Newburn is this dude, and we, we saw some more about him, like, actually not so much last issue, but he's basically this, like, he used to be a cop, right? He's like this detective dude. He works, he investigates things for the different, like, crime organizations, the different families and groups and, and you know, whatever he's kind of untouchable in that way where, and he, you know, he also works with the police. So he has like kind of access to everything. No one really likes him, but they kind of respect him. They know that there's these unspoken, you know, rules or whatever. It's like, okay, you don't mess with this guy. He's kind of untouchable because he works for everyone. He plays all sides and they know that. So he recently has been working with this, this woman, Emily, who's, uh, she kind of got involved or whatever. And she's sort of been like his assistant and everything. I didn't realize it at first But this issue, we get some backstory on her. And I'm pretty sure it's it's, I I miss it. Because if you've been listening, you know, for me, one of the things I'm usually pretty sucky at is remembering people's names or characters' names. So a lot of times I'm like, wait, who is this? And then so here as we're seeing like this flashback stories about this like rookie cop and, you know, cause first it starts out like in a present where he's like in this gambling thing. And then it's a flashback when he was at the Academy and and that. And anyways, he's talking to this woman. I didn't even put two and two together, but I'm pretty sure this, uh, we, we get some backstory on, on her. So you should be reading. It's, it's, it's a really cool comic. I I'm, I'm enjoying that rogue Sun issue three is out. So rogue Sun was this superhero and he died and then his son gets called to like you know you know he has to go to his, his his wake or something like that and he's angry because his dad he didn't know so he didn't i don't think he knew that his dad was rogue son right but he gets called there he's like this this guy abandoned me it's like i don't even I have like virtually no memories of this guy and then to make things worse he finds out that he had another family he had so now he has like a, a half sister and brother and because at first it seemed like okay maybe dad just didn't want to settle down you know he didn't want to have a family but no why does he have this other family but he had nothing to do with us he is like bequeathed the the power of rogue son which doesn't go well uh, the, the his other family knew about it you know they were kind of hoping that they were gonna inherit it uh but they didn't so he gets the the power and and as he's he can also talk to his his father's like spirit or something like that. So it's like there's stuff going on there, and basically you know he want he's trying his dad's trying to figure out like who killed him, you know how who, who or who arranged for him to get killed and everything like that. So it's it's interesting uh, um, idea and everything like that. So I, I'm enjoying that. Scumbag issue thirteen came out. Um, I I need to get caught up on this someday because it's, it's Rick Remender but for me the problem was the scumbi- sc- the character dude he wasn't the most likable character and it was just hard for me to read about this guy cuz he's just yeah so there's that and then um also i meant to get read the first one but the z what's it zvcr zombies versus robots classic so the the second issue The re-presentation of the oft-forgotten Zombies vs. Robots by Chris Rael and Ashley Wood rolls onward with the original two issues of the series that formed the basis for the Forever Forever in Development Hell feature film Inherit to Earth, plus new covers by Wood the new ZVR tributes to the mad genius. It was Don Martin and more join us for the series that comic book resources recently anointed as number two zombie comic of all time. Second, only to the walking dead, but tied for first in our hearts. So yeah, I, I need to check that out because uh, Ashley Woods art's pretty cool. And Chris Ryle, I like his stuff too. So that was a, uh, that was image at uh, IDW. I did read. Well, actually, no, I didn't read it. it I like, I no, no, I sort of read it. There was a GI Joe, Real American Hero Cobra with a four A's. This was basically just reprints of like some classic GI Joe comics. And it's a hundred pages, so hundred pages for seven ninety nine, and uh, like the the first one, it was. I still remember the the classic cover where it's like in shadows, whatever. But it's like. Cobra, Destro, and Snake Eyes like taking off their masks, so it's like, "What? We're gonna see what they look like and everything." But the interesting thing, as I reread this, Destro was was a white dude, and I don't know where or when, but I thought that Destro was black because you know he's we never see like any bare skin because he's wearing gloves and the mask all the time. What was it? Was it a cartoon? Was it somewhere? I, I I don't remember. Anyways. So he was white here, because yeah, you know, like everyone's white almost. So, so yeah, that was it. Was, it was pretty cool to, to go back. I mean, I the, those, those comics are so much fun. I mean, I just when when I was reading them, you know, in the olden days. At uh, Boom Studio, there was Something's Killing the Children twenty two. So I what I, I this is I love this comic. This is such a great comic. Highly recommended. James the IV does the writing. So here in this was this the third story arc or whatever, um, in this small like I think it's in Texas town. There's been a, a, like a monster attack. This girl's family's been killed. She survives, but you know she can't really say what happened because who, who's going to believe her? So Erica Slaughter comes, you know, because she got wind that there's could be a monster on the loose or whatever like that. This little girl, she's. She has such a chip on her shoulder, and you know that this like kind of friend of the family, friend of her mom, like agrees to take her in because the girl doesn't have anyone. But the little girl is just like vicious, just vicious to everyone, and we'll have to see where this is gonna go. But um, that that's I I'm like I said, I just I really enjoy this this book. At DC Comics, there is the Joker number fourteen. It kind of it doesn't like pick up exactly from the last issue, so. Jim is like back, and you know the, the big question is what exactly happened? He tracked down a Joker at this cannibal family compound, and you know they they had a Joker, they're all ready to kill him. So we we um kind of get some some flashbacks, it's like filling the scene to pieces, because Bane's clone girl, you know, daughter, whatever you want to call her is like, you know, ready to kill Joker and Bane's there, which is like, how is Bane back or whatever? And you know, Commissioner Gordon's just like kind of like watching all this play out. And you know, she wants to kill Joker for his part in killing Bane, you know Bane's back. You know, so there's like just basically what what goes down with them. They're just kind of struggling, everything like that. And then uh Gordon, you know, he's he's got joker so it's like what is he going to do with him you know he does is where is he going to go because at the end he's like you know you're coming with me but where is the joker because you know now he's back in gotham so it's like did he kill the joker or not or did he you know let him go why would he let him go you know so he's like being interrogated also and then uh batman kind of gets wind of, of everything that went down too so it's like okay so he's gonna have to have a talk and then there's a backup story with uh, punchline and I'm just like you know whatever about punchline uh, it, you know she's an interesting character and all but I just I kind of don't care I think my my problem with punchline is that she's just this like regular person you we've seen her origin I, I feel like that she's too amped up in like ability and and just her getting arrested in jail and like having all this power is just whatever. Um, Teen Titans Academy issue fourteen. Basically, part of what what we're dealing with here is the development between with a cyborg and Beast Boy that they're you know they're they're suffering for some. I almost I, I to be honest, I almost forgot. It's like wait, how did this happen? Like what I but I I was like oh yeah, I was I was getting recollections of, of that. But you know so we, we have like the Titans celebrating uh, graduation. And only three people are graduating. And uh, it's Kid Flash, uh, Roundhouse, and Red Arrow. But it's like, okay, they're graduating from Teen Titans Academy. They've already been Teen Titans, you know, with, with Damien. So maybe they're not official Teen Titans, but they were Teen Titans. And then, you know, some of the others, uh, the, I forget what they're calling themselves, but, you know, they, Young Justice Dark, I guess, what they're, they're One. Uh, yeah, so they're going to go investigate something. Um, yeah, so I i mean, this is a book. I keep reading it. I don't love it. I don't love some of these other characters. I really don't care about some of the characters, but I'm still reading it. I don't know why. So it's like, I want to like it more. But it's like sometimes it's like the kids, they just do some like, dumb things. And I don't know if that that's what the, the point is that, you know, sometimes kids don't have all the answers it almost seems like insulting though but it's like man they're just such knuckleheads rogues issue two so this is joshua williams writing this so this is black label book and it's basically the rogues are older you know they retired and and uh captain cold he, he's tired of his life you know he's on, on. you know has some probation officers everyone insults him they, he's treated like crap And then he's just like, I've had enough of this. And he just wants, you know, he has this idea for this big score. So he wants to get the rogues back together, got this big plan. Basically, they want to go to, um, I don't think it's a spoiler, but they want to go to Gorilla City and get like some of the the Gorilla City gold, you know, because that will set them up. And so it's like, you know, trying to, they had to, you know, break some other people out and, you know, all this stuff. So it's it's an enjoyable book. I, I like this, you know, seeing them after you know everything and just trying to get by and so it's it's a fun book all right I, i feel like i i feel like i'm i should go faster i feel like this is this is going on for too long um robin 13 came out and also deathstroke inc 8 came out i think if i remember correctly you should read deathstroke inc 8 first and then robin 13 i did not do that i read it the other way around and um I was just like, OK, because, you know, with with maybe my memory with just reading so much. And then when I do read them, I'm like, OK, wait, there seems like there's a little jump here. Maybe I just forgot something or whatever. So there there's a little bit. Yeah. So you, you it's not crucial, but you should read it. It's just all dealing with the fact that Rachel Ghoul was killed. He was seemingly killed. This isn't really it's kind of spoiler, but not really spoiler. Uh, from the past couple issues that he was seemingly killed by deathstroke, but deathstroke's like, I didn't do it. So why's you know he being framed who did it and you know Damien and Ravager, they're like on the hunt for, for deathstroke because they feel like he did it. And you know, Ravager's not like super crazy with him. And then um what was oh, I'm totally blanking on um this other character's name, Re Respawn I don't know how I feel about this respawn character. So they, we finally got his origin, which I I'm so thankful that we got that, that it wasn't just left, you know, dragging on forever. Um, but now that I know his origin, I mean, because now that I know his origin, I can kind of appreciate his place in the whole scheme of everything, versus. If we were just left wondering, then it'd be like, okay, who does the character think he is? I mean, who cares? And you know, why are they even here? They're supposed to be like this, like super fighter because you know they're in the, the tournament. Um, but yeah, so I, I I can appreciate all that. But as far as who, what this all means now, I don't really know how I feel about it. I mean, I guess I'm okay with it, but we'll, we'll have to see. So yeah, it's it's I'm I'm curious about this whole like trying to figure out who who did this what i don't believe that that Rachel ghoul is dead it we saw it happen i mean it looked pretty pretty uh like definite definitive but yeah i don't know really how i feel about that so we'll have to see but those are yeah i'm i'm liking that the, the books are tight so that that's interesting with detective comics 1059 so we we have a uh, Riddler. Riddler, he's got like what the heck happened to Riddler? He's got like this uh, beard, like uh, hipster mustache, like you know the the twirled mustache. What when the heck did that happen? Where like where did he get that? And he, he's it almost doesn't even look like him because he's got like a goatee. Not a, I, I think I said a beard. He's got like a goatee and the the hipster mustache. He's wearing sunglasses. He's got kind of like an overcoat, and you know he's just blah blah blah. I mean, the, the problem with Riddler, a problem with a lot of the villains is I feel like when they're used too often, they just, they kind of get boring, at least for me. So it's like, there's been so many good Riddler stories or maybe not so many, but then like every time something cool happens and then the next one comes and it's just like, Oh, okay. So we're, we're back to doing that. So anyways, there's stuff with him and then, uh, yeah there, there's more the, the reporter lady someone close to her gets injured in the hospital and uh, and yeah there's a connection to something else and you know batman is investigating and what what that is is riddler going on about and then the the backup story it's not a spoiler i guess but uh gotham girl is back so it's like i almost like forgot about gotham girl So like oh yeah you know because she they were she was supposed to be dying but i guess she's not dying so she's there so that that's interesting uh, Dark Knights of Steel issue six. So I'm I'm not super crazy about the premise, and only because I what I'm finding and kind of spoiler for later in the show. I'm not a super fan of like period pieces, like stuff set in you know, in the past or whatever. That being said, you know this is Tom Taylor writing it, so of course you know he if he, anyone's going to make this interesting, it's going to be him. Well, I'm sure other people could too, but. You know, so we're we're seeing like these different versions of the DC characters, and and that you know I kind of like that, where that means anything happens. Like you know we we've, we're seeing characters who are long have long been dead are alive, and then other characters getting killed. So it's it's that the whole thing like anything goes, and you know they're all different different versions of everything. So it's kind of interesting to see like this war that's brewing between uh like the the House of L. And and with a like Black Lightning and so there's some interesting things going on here. So I'm, I'm enjoying that. Batman Beyond, the White Knight, um, Beyond a White Knight, Beyond Batman Beyond, Beyond a White Knight, issue two. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm so loving. It. I don't know what it is. I mean, some of Sean Murphy, his writing is great, his art is great, and you know, then to put the two together, it's just like holy crap. So I don't know. I don't know if it's the writing that makes the art better or the art that makes the writing better. I don't know if that's even possible for either either way. But, man, these books have been so – I've been loving them so much. And just seeing Sean Murphy's art and anything is always, like, such a treat. But with just these Batman characters, and I'm so glad that he's doing it. You know, I I know – He's he's very outspoken with his thoughts, his views, on, and everything. So I'm so glad that he's doing this because I you know most creators he's you know he's in a position where he could easily do creator own stuff and it will sell. So I'm so glad that he's doing all these white knight stuff. And I don't know how successful these are. You know how much like money he I w- I would assume with the trades and and if anyone you know maybe and maybe just. I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea what the sales are. But it's Batman. I mean, it's just, they're so good. And the art is amazing. We're getting like a take on, on on Batman Beyond, which is interesting. And, you know, at first I was like, wait, Batman Beyond already? It kind of makes sense, though, because, you know, Bruce is a little older. Uh, you know, he's not quite like the age of, of Bruce and Batman Beyond, the animated series. But, you know, he is older here. So it is kind of cool to see this new take on him and how everything comes into place. Spoiler sort of like in the last issue, and what Sean posted on his Instagram about like Joker. Like, wait, what isn't Joker long gone? What's going on? And and then there's a there's a like big kind of cliffhanger with this issue, which I'm not not going to talk about. You should be reading. Read all the. There's been a, a few different White Knight books now, and you know spinoffs. So you should just definitely check that out. Then there's Aquaman issue three. Yeah, I'm trying to read this. I, I feel like the way Jackson hides being written, it's like he's just so angry and just so mean. And, and you know, yeah, he's got issues with his father, Black Manta, and that the fact that Black Manta and Arthur Aquaman are, working, are seemingly working together, he's, like, deeply concerned with that. But it's just like he's so quick to judge. It's like, dude, you're a kid. Aquaman... Has been doing this a lot longer, and there must be some reason why they're working together. Like you know, but he's just so quick. Like he's being manipulated. Something's wrong, and and he's just so angry and just rude and just everything. And so it's just like it makes me just like just want to say sh- just shut up. It's like I don't, I don't want to hear it. That's making it hard. The other thing is it's hard to read. Is Action Comics one thousand forty two. I'm just so tired of this battle world um, gladiator superman i just i just really don't care about this 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 isn't what i want from a superman comic and yeah i know you can say well you know we have son of superman which is more of a superman comic than this is but i, I just i want superman and clark kent you know yeah fine he's married great he has a kid cool but i just i'm yeah i'm just not not into this gladiator Superman stuff. And plus the fact I hate the fact that he has no secret identity, but because he has no secret identity, he can be off world now doing all this you know gladiator shenanigan stuff. At Marvel, we have Amazing Spider-Man issue one, and uh, yeah, so this is by Zeb Wells, John Romita Jr. John Romita Jr. his art I I've always you know grown to like appreciate his art over the years, and and you know I don't know if his style has changed or evolved or I, I'm just like being more um, aware of cool things or I don't know, but I like his art and it, it just, it really works. And I feel he, you know, he's always good with the action the grittiness or whatever. It, it just, it just fits together. And maybe because he's drawn Spider-Man so many times, like seeing him, it, it's like, I didn't, it almost didn't, I didn't question it, but you know, I did have someone ask me like, well, how was the art? Um, I liked it. You know, I, I think it works here. What, I'm not super crazy about, and I'm not gonna make a, a judgment of this. You know, I, I thought about reviewing this issue because it's number one. What's the friggin' legacy number on this? Is what I want to know. This is legacy. I can't read it on my screen. Legacy eight ninety-five. I, I didn't review it because I wasn't super crazy about the issue. And you know, like I said, I don't like the poop on things. Not that I didn't like it. But the problem I have is it's basically crapping all over Peter Parker or Spider-Man. And I know that's kind of Spider-Man's thing, you know, the Parker luck and all that, but it's not, it's, I, I'm not super crazy about seeing that all the time. So, you know, something really bad, massive happens. And then it cuts like six months later. So now we're left like kind of in the dark. It's like, well, what the heck happened? Why are things so bad? Why are some people like kind of mad at at Peter and, you know, where has he been and what's he doing? And so just everything's a mess. And there's like crazy uh, cliffhanger because like last, you know, what what's going on with him and Mary Jane? That's a huge, I mean, that's all I'm going to say about that. But there is definitely something there. Last issue that we had there, you know, she was taking care of him. You know, she was at the hospital from his, you know, just recovering from a stupid radiation beyond uh, storyline thing and and she's like basically she's like we should move in together type of thing and now it's like okay what happened because things are like tense just everywhere even the things are even tense with aunt may and aunt may is like the nicest person right something's going on Uh, and then there's stuff with uh I, i won't say anything more but it's like my goodness uh knights of x issue one i'm skipping carnage i didn't even i didn't even get i'm not even gonna look at carnage number two I just, I don't like carnage. <laughs> Have I said that before? <laughs> Knights of X, issue one. So this by Tini Howard, Bob Quinn, and Yannick Paquit. Would Yannick Paquette do the cover, maybe? Uh, so with this, this is more about Captain Britain and Otherworld and fighting King Arthur and Merlin. So it's kind of a continuation of Excalibur, I think. So I'm, I'm enjoying this, you know, I really like these characters I'm a, I'm a big fan of like Saturnine and Otherworld and Captain Britain and, and Megan, And so it's it's kind of cool that we have all that and, you know, the whole thing about being in Otherworld where, you know, the dangers are, if, if you die there, you can't you know, for mutants, they, they can't be brought back normally, like, you know, or if they're killed everywhere. So, you know you have that aspect and then just trying to fight, you know, Merlin, you know, that's obviously, you know, he's super powerful and and all everything so i am just really enjoying this and and seeing like the characters that are being pulled into this so it it makes it for a different x-men book rather than having like all x-men books kind of being similar so this definitely has a a different feel to it so i I think that's good ms marvel beyond the limit issue five this is the last issue so it's almost like well i guess ms marvel is doing the whole kind of like mini series thing it's like tell the story arc series over and then there'll be another one. Series over. Then there'll be another one. Whatever. That's fine. You know, like I keep. You know, keep the legacy number on there somewhere. Do what you got to do. That that's fine. I I yeah. I don't know how I feel about that, but that's just the way it works. I haven't been super crazy about this, so maybe it's good that this is the last issue. But you know, it's it's like the the same problem that I've had with Silk in the past. When you have like a villain or whatever if for me, if I don't care about the villain or I'm not buying their motives or whatever, it makes it hard for me to look in, you know, the, the, to keep up with it. And part of what I, I also wonder is, like, well, what if someone else feels the same way? And they're reading this and, you know, they might be like, man, I don't like Ms. Marvel comics or I don't like Silk comics because this I don't like this villain or this story. So it's, it almost feels like it just goes on t- for too long. So here, uh, there's this um, basically Kamala has like a doppelganger this, this girl from like this other dimension came and at first she seemed to be all like friendly with Kamala and then now she's like turning on her and she blames Kamala for the destruction of her her world and, and stuff like that and it's just it it just gets like very petty and just vindictive and it's just you know when you have the villains that are just like meh, 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 you know just like whining about everything it's just uh it's just to me it's like, like a turn off so Yeah, there's that. Punisher issue two. This, man, I don't know how I feel about this book. One, I will say it is definitely interesting. As I've mentioned before, I really enjoyed Frankencastle. I thought what Rick Remender did was brilliant. And as I turned my head, I'm looking at my Punisher omnibus, and I'm proud to say I picked up at a comic convention, uh, one, because it wasn't super expensive, and because it's Rick Remender Punisher, so, I, I thought that was cool. It's the most ridiculous idea of, you know, Punisher getting killed and chopped up and put together like a Frankenstein. But that's what made it fun because it was different. Because the Punisher, I mean, I'll admit, I'm not the biggest Punisher fan. I thought he was cool when I first read. I was like, whoa, who's this guy? But this this guy he's he's not the most balanced person, and he's basically going around shooting people. I know I've talked about this before. You know he shouldn't be a judge, jury, and executioner. What Punisher is doing now, he's basically teaming up with the Hand, and they're like, "Yeah, you're gonna you're such a massive killing machine, and we want you to be up here, and um, we'll give you this cherished prize in return." Which I'm surprised he's kind of going for it, and uh, yeah, so there's some some crazy crazy things happening here and uh i'm i'm like on the edge of my seat it's like where is this going like what are they doing so i'm, I'm definitely intrigued with that saber tooth issue three. Ugh, i i almost don't i think i hate and i know this hates a strong word but I, it fits here i think i hate carnage just a little bit more than saber i don't like saber tooth I cannot care. I'm so tired of Sabretooth. He's like, oh stupid runt, I'm gonna ruin your day, and blah blah blah. It's just like, man, Sabretooth, get a friggin' life. Get over the fat. What is your problem with Wolverine? Just go away, leave him alone, grow up. You're such a loser because you're just obsessed with with ruining his his whatever, his any happiness. Sabretooth is kind of like in Krakoan mutant jail. And it's just I don't even care what's going on. it's just yeah. I do not care about Sabretooth. Silk issue four. <laughs> so Silk is fighting this Korean witch, and it feels so weird, because I know I said that last time. It's like, okay, is it necessary for me to specify that it's a Korean witch? That's what it even says in, in like the recap part. So basically there is like this uh Art exhibit or something they had a museum and there's like this Korean legend artifact something and this witch is basically back or alive and draining the youth or energy from people. So Silk got zapped. She's like an older lady now and all she's doing is complaining about her body being in pain. She can't you know her knees and her hips or whatever and um, she's probably supposed to be like maybe my age now or something like that. But they're just totally ex- exaggerating it. I don't know. So. Um, is just her trying to deal with with all that, and the funny thing is, she goes to talk to like Jay Jonah Jameson because uh, Cindy works for for him at his whatever his outlet news outlet thing is. But she as Silk, she goes to talk to him, and she goes on his fire escape, and you know she, her like her webbing barely works because it's like uh, organic webbing. But when she goes to talk to Jay Jonah Jameson, she has like a kind of like the the Spider Man mask that Miles Morales had, and in into the Spider Verse like the plastic you know, whatever thing. But it's like, he, as she's wearing it. He he never comments on the fact that she's wearing that mask. And I'd be like, dude, why are you wearing a Spider-Man mask? You're not Spider-Man. So we have that. Uh Silver Surfer Rebirth, issue four. This is just cool because it's Ron Mars and Ron Lim. So it's like such a, you know, like throwback, like going back to that era. And part of me as I'm reading this, I, I don't know what's been said. Like, is this supposed to be like legitimate like continuity or is it saying well let's just like what if we continue to do this you know is this supposed to be untold tales because there's some k- kind of big things going on here like jack of hearts is in here and um something happens to jack of hearts which it's like not something you necessarily walk away with intact like 100 percent. you know that's like that's gonna leave a mark type of thing so uh but it's just it's just so good i mean i just the the writing and the art it just takes me back so I'm, I'm really enjoying that star wars crimson dawn issue f- or crimson rain issue four so this is interesting uh because what goes on here is queera is like obviously up to all this stuff to mess with the empire so she goes to the knights of ren and she's like yeah i heard about you guys and i need you know someone with like force powers because i i have a job she basically wants them to break into darth vader's uh sith castle his fortress and steal this key so what is this key for Uh, they don't they're not telling us yet so they want him to they want uh knights of ren to go and uh they're like, oh, yeah, okay. So it sounds like Vader is not anywhere near, so we can go there. But you know how things go. And then there's Thor 24. So this was a, like a lo- another long issue. Uh, star-studded celebration of 750 issues. So not only that, but it's basically mourning the loss of a certain character, which it's not mentioned and uh solicit i don't know if it mentions it on the cover it doesn't mention wait yeah i guess it kind of mentions it on the cover or whatever but i i didn't love this this comic um there's just a lot of like it's like basically funeral service and you know talking about what this character meant and blah 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 and we get some some flashback stories by some of the big Comic characters like Walt Simonson, Dan Jurgens, uh, St- J. Michael Straczynski. It's cool. I mean, Thor fans should be excited. I'm just, I'm just very selective with the Thor stories that I like. I mean, there's certain ones that I like more than others, and uh, so this was okay. It'll, now what? What's what's happening after this? So, that's the big thing. I'm more concerned with like, what the heck is is going on with Mjolnir now? And I still know how he felt about the God of War god of hammers whatever um story arc oh i that's what i mentioned i forgot to totally and the punisher the nemesis enemy foe that punisher going up against i kind of want it was almost like, like obvious but then when we actually see i'm like okay wait really i didn't think that was what was going on so yeah so that again punisher is kind of kind of crazy kind of interesting so with that, um, that's gonna be it. That's everything. That's comics for the week. Okay, let's talk Superman and Lois, episode or season two, episode ten, Bizarros in a Bizarro World. So Superman and Lois is back. Um, had a bit of a cliffhanger from from last time. So let's just jump to it. So I, I enjoyed this this episode. This is such a good show, and it's it's so weird. You're thinking about the CW shows and I just don't understand how some shows just feel so different from the others. It's it's almost like it feels like a lot of the CW shows, you know, I know a lot of people knock them. I don't, I don't really have like major problems with with most of them, but a lot of people just really kind of come down on them. But then you also look at some of these shows compared to like the HBO Max shows, and, and yeah, you can say well maybe it's a budget this or that, whatever. But you know, like Jeff Johns is involved with like a lot of these shows, but like there's such a different. It's almost like there's a mandate. It's like okay, we're gonna give these shows like this. The, our our goal is we're aiming for this level, this vibe, or whatever. And uh, but like superman lois is just, just it has such a different feeling it's it's it feels like like it is a legit superman show i mean it, it's just really good so high high praise all around i mean i'm just just digging this so it starts off Um uh, we, we get to see like what happened to superman because you know he's been gone is he dead he went to through the portal so he's flying through there's a lot of red light he makes it through and he lands like in the cave you know the, the mines whatever there's like actual like green kryptonite in the cave, but it doesn't really seem to affect him or anything like that. He, he, everything that he says um, is backwards. He speaks backwards. He sees a dead body like in a hazmat suit and it says Anderson under. But wait, but we know Anderson's still alive, right? Because we saw him last time. So he flies up. He tries like listening. It's, it's right everywhere because, you know, the, the sun. It's, it's a red sun here but what's interesting is like the earth the sun and the earth are like kind of cube shaped so it's like you know how, how does that work i just don't understand that and then he uh he flies down and he go, go you know to like his fortress or whatever so he he goes there there's like this security dude like kind of sleeping there and so someone's like, "This is a museum, some weird thing." There's a hologram sign, and it's like the rise and fall of our hero L. But what's interesting is it's like almost—I don't know what you call it—but like the meme speak, where it's like upper and lowercase. Because it's like lowercase T H and capital E, lowercase R I S capital E, and then rise and fall like capital L and. So I guess it's like it almost looks like the the last letter and everything. So this must be some sort of museum. There's like these hologram statues, and and one one hologram is like the the big giant arrow key, which I'm a, I'm a fan of that. I think it's it's ridiculous, and I, I love it. And then this hologram, of Laura comes up. She's like Cal. She's like did he send you? You know my son. And he answers her backwards, but then he has to focus, and then he starts talking backwards. I guess he's like not exactly. And then then she's like he's gone. And he's like, sorry. So she asks if he was able to destroy Ali Alston's Oblivion Stone. And he's like, he tried. So she's like, I told him it was impossible, but he wouldn't listen. And so she's like, you know, he was a good man, but he was lost. And Superman's like, well, he was trying to make things right. So he asks where he can find Allie Alston of this Earth because he has to find her before she merges. Then Lara says, does she have both pendants? And if so, then it's only a matter of time before she becomes the most powerful being on the planet. The rest of the world will have no choice to see the merger die. Then something kind of like flies through her hologram and she kind of flickers off and it's Jonathan. So he takes her crystal like out of the machine. He's like, he's like oh, we'll, we'll take it with us. So he's like, Allie Alston knows that you're here. He's like, I'll explain later. So he's like, they need to go to the farm. He's like, it's the safest place to go. And he starts floating and Superman's like, you can fly. And then they like take off. So arriving at the farm, Superman's landing isn't so smooth. And he says that the red sun weakens him. The barn and the house are like dilapidated. Superman asks like how he knew that he was there. And John says that, you know, his face is all over the news. They like turn on the TV and, you know, Allie's followers basically control everything. So they're talking about how, he must be stopped if you've seen. The ascension is nearly upon us. And Jonathan's like, you know, she's been in power for a few months. And she started uh, talking about making things better. And then people just started following. Uh, John says that, you know, they could probably find her at the DOD because her and her people took it over. So they figured that the, the best place for her and her other self to merge would be somewhere where no one could get inside except for them. So while they're talking about everything like that, Jonathan's been kind of like looking around the house and then he says that he's looking for something to help power Superman up because he looks like he needs it. So he said, then he finds something he's like, he knew his dad would have kryptonite there. So there's like two inhalers and they're like green um, inhalers instead of yellow K or whatever. And Superman's like, he's like, oh yeah, I, I don't think you know that would be a good idea. John's like, well, you know, maybe you're just more powerful than my dad. He's like, I assume you met him. And he's like, why didn't he come back with you? then he then you know he doesn't really say anything he's like he's dead isn't he he's like i knew he'd fail then superman's like did you didn't you get along and john's like well he's like you can say that uh we just didn't exactly see eye to eye on some of the decisions that i made he's like it was either his way or the skyway so superman says you know sometimes parents get stuck in their way and he probably just wanted what was best for him john laughs at this he's like did he even mention that i existed he's like he didn't care and then Lois shows up and, you know, she has like kind of darker hair and everything, a little more makeup, uh, like eyeshadow. Um, she's like, she shows up and said that he did, you know, more than you'll ever know. It's like, he loved you, John. And John's like, enough. He's like, you didn't disappear like I told you to. It's just like, okay, Jonathan, calm down. So then we get a flashback, bizarro Jonathan L. <laughs> so he's in this limo with like the whole family. And, you know, I guess Superman's getting an award or something like that jonathan's not not too impressed he's like oh not this again so they get out of the you know uh super bizarro and lois get out people are cheering bizarro's like taking selfie and he looks like regular superman you know he's not all crackly face like white and everything so he's taking selfies and and you know just like you know smiling and, and greeting the fans and everything then off on distance there's a building this dude starts falling So Jonathan's like looking at him and and, you know, he's still taking pictures. So Jonathan zips to save him, everyone watches, and Bizarro's like to Lois, he's like, Oh, it looks like Jonathan finally got his powers. And Lois is like, This complicates things. And Superman or Bizarro's like, No, it's perfect. And he's like, Jonathan can finally see what I have to deal with on a daily basis. So she asks, She's like, Are you really suggesting that we let our fifteen year old become a hero? And he's like, Well, you know, with some guidance, he'll only have to, you know, he'll only go on missions with me. So people swarm up to him and start asking him questions because they want to know like what's up with his powers. So at the farm, the mailbox says L. So you know his there's obviously no no Clark Kent identity here. Jonathan is getting fitted for like a new outfit, and Lois like shouldn't he just have something like his dad? And Jonathan says like well, I was thinking of something a little more casual and, and cooler. So the stylist she's like you know have you thought about a name that I can give to the press? And Jordan says he's like or jordan you know so jordan is like very you know shy meekly he's almost like emo hair like in his face or whatever and jordan's like what about superboy and jonathan's like are you trying to embarrass me and jordan mumbles he's like well i i like it so Bizarro's like just john l son of kal-el he's like the world knows the l's are heroes then he says like you know most of them as like a dig against jordan and then Lois is like, oh, he's just teasing. He's like, your powers will come in. The style says that you know it's great that he's going to carry on a name, but they might want to think of a way for him to stand out. So then there's a photo shoot. You know, he has the red pants and the, like the leather jacket, and he does this. Uh, I don't even know how he would do. He does like this weird like. Hand. At first, I thought he's kind of doing like a hand triangle, sort of like when people make the heart. But he's actually kind of making like, a diamond. With sort of like the S symbol, and and stupidly, I'm here trying to do it myself, but I can't really see my hands, obviously. But like one finger is kind of curled up, so it's kind of makes like an S in inside the diamond or whatever. So it's like I guess that's his his superhero gang symbol, you know, whatever thing. So. He's taking pictures and doing that. He's on the this magazine, whatever. And we see him flying with his dad. There's bank robbers shooting at them with machine guns, and somehow, like his leather jacket doesn't even get scratched or anything like that. People are cheering. He's enjoying the fame. He's like in a talk show. He does the hand thing. Um, he smiles at this lady guest that's like sitting next to him. Then he gets out of the limo with them. And fans are, you know, they they start crowding to John, Jonathan, instead of so like so Bizarro. At home. The parents are mad that Jonathan has been out on his own and he because he stopped like two trucks from colliding head on. And he's like, oh, it's just a simple accident. He's like, you know, I didn't need your help. But Bizarro yells, you are my son. You will do as I say. And Jonathan's like, oh, now you want to be my father? He's like, where were you before I got my powers? And he's like, you know where I was. He's like, yeah, selling your shoe line, hosting the Kevins, going on trips with President Seinfeld. <laughs> and Bizarro yells, he's like, I thought you'd understand now what it's like for me. And Jonathan's like, he says that he thinks it's always, you know, it's always about what you're feeling. It's never about how I feel or what I'm going through. So then Jonathan leaves to meet his act. I don't know if she's an actress, his girlfriend, whatever. Um, Misty is her her name. But Bizarro's like, well, I'm here now. And then Jonathan's like, well, it's not always about you, Pops. And he takes off. So Jonathan's at a club with Misty. And he says that it's like his dad doesn't even know who he is. And she asks, she's like, well, do you? She says that, you know, it seems like you're always trying to figure out who you are. It's like part of you is missing. It's like, that's why I want you to meet a friend. So go into the VIP room. There's a bunch of weirdos like in there or whatever. And then Allie's like sitting in this chair. And she's like, oh, it's nice to finally meet you. And he's like, oh, the lady behind the uprising in Star City. And she's like, oh, that's a simple misunderstanding. And Misty's like, the government started the riots. And, you know, they see that she has a billion followers and Allie kind of cuts her off. She's like, "Ah, that's not important now. She's like, Jonathan is. So he has gifts. He has many gifts. And there's something that she'd like to show him if he's open to it. Something that would change everything that he thinks he knows about himself. And he's like, okay, why not? So she then she tells a, fl- a flunky. She's like, oh, can you get him a cup of tea? Because they always you know, drug him with the tea. I guess she, she does that here. Back to the present-ish, whatever. Lois says to Superman not to tell him anything because he's working for Allie, and then jonathan like shoves lois across the room and he's like jonathan and super or john's eyes go white he's like now you're gonna tell me where i can find those pendants so then we see uh now it's, it's a focus on bizarro lois lane so flashback she's leaving the farmhouse uh, you know she says that she's had enough she can't live like this cal and he's like you can't just take my son and leave and she's like I tried to make this work, but you refuse to change. And he's like, Oh, he's like, you know, I cut back, cetera, all this stuff like that. And she's like, you should have cut back, you know, the calendars, you know, the calendar, whatever shoots in the interviews. And he's like, it's part of the job of being a superhero. And she whispers, she's like, what about the kryptonite? He, and he's like, you know, it's all I, you know, she says, it's all he does day and night he flies around the r- r- world. It never ends. I'm a superhero Lois. I go where people need me. And she yells, we need you. And then, you know, she's like, uh, you know, me and Jordan need you, just like Jonathan did. And, you know, he says that he can't stop saving people. And she's like, you know, she doesn't blame him, but, you know, she she's to blame too, but Jonathan never felt heard or seen. Now it's changed him into something that, that she hardly even recognizes. And she's not going to let that happen again. And he's like, everything you have is because of me, Lois, this life, this family, all of it was me. Do you hear me? And he like screams and like, Fire comes out of his his, you know, fire breath comes out and he accidentally burns the barn. So that's why the barn was like dilapidated. So Lois goes to the DOD, talks to her dad, so Sam's still there. You know, she says she didn't know where else to go, and he's like, Oh, you came to the right place. And she says that, you know, she didn't mean to show up out of blue, especially with all the Allie Alston stuff going on, and she's riling up leaders and all this stuff, and then the alarm goes off. The soldier comes in and it's like, it's your grandson. So they see Jonathan and another getting shot at by soldiers like out on the, like the camera. Then they zip inside. So it's Jonathan and Lana. So Lana's kinda kinda of wearing like one of the like others like super suits or whatever, and her eyes are glowing like greenish. So somehow Lana has powers. And she's like, You move, you die. So Jonathan's like, Project 4377. So that's like the hell thing, whatever. He's like, Where is it? And Sam's like, You're trying to keep your father from stopping Allie Alston. Jonathan's just like, where is it? And he's like, again, he's like, where is it? Lana's like, if he doesn't give it, he's like, I'll freeze all the skin off your face. Lois tries talking to to him, and she's like, you know, the void that you feel feel isn't going to be filled by whatever Ellie is trying to change you into. And he, Jonathan just kind of ignores. He's like, last chance, Gramps. Where is it? So Lois says that you know she's sorry that she failed him as a mother. She's like, I won't anymore. And Lana says, he's like, I thought these three were smarter than than your father and Jonathan's like you know so did I then he says this one soldier's name and the dude's like follow me and Sam's like oh you SOB because uh the soldier guy's working with Allie apparently so Jonathan just like backhands him and he's like if you're not going to join us then disappear <laughs> that's his because that's his in- insult Lois Jonathan and Sam watch the news about Allie Lois says that she can't believe that uh she found a portal to another earth and and if she merges with her other self sam's like she'll be unstoppable so how can they stop her you hear, they can't but i can bizarro shows up he's now his skin is white and crackly he tells lois that she was right that he was never there sam tells him that Allie and her followers are holed up at the dod and um they're you know half of them are hopped up on kryptonite so it's not He's not going to be as strong as he used to be either, but he says that he's like, he will be and he uses an inhaler. He goes into DODs fighting soldier. He takes the pendant uh, to destroy it, whatever. And then, you know, he has to save their son. If it's the last thing that, that he does. So in the Prince, present ish, Lois is on the ground. Jonathan's like, you're going to tell me where I can find those pendants. Superman flies to stop him. But then Jonathan, Jonathan shoves him back like hard then his he punches him three times and he's like where's anderson now and he's like where are they punch 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 superman says he's like i don't know johnson's like you're gonna tell me where anderson is you're gonna end up just like my dad then Anderson's there he's like i'm right here but he says it backwards and he's wearing like the pendant like the double pendant or whatever so a flashback lieutenant general mitchell anderson he takes a, a pendant in the cave he travels through the portal takes off his helmet where he lands jonathan lana ali and the other anderson are there and he's like he says help me you know but it's backwards so they don't know what he's saying bizarro anderson says looks like he needs help he's starting to get like memory flashes and then it's just kind of painful it's like you know it's just like killing his head like a migraine or whatever jonathan sees that he has both pendants ali's like angry asking you know bizarro anderson you know what are they playing at you know where is her pendant and there's there's no way that you know she will willingly give it up so she approaches regular anderson and asks you know where is she and he says backwards uh, that you know she has a backup plan lana's like it's a trick Allie says that she wants those pendants so he gives lana a like a massive backhand that sends her slamming against the cave wall bizarro anderson starts walking towards anderson he flicks the pendant and she tells jonathan to take him out before they merge so it starts happening again there's like whoosh, like their energy is like coming together but then uh jonathan burns him with his fire so he's crispy crunchy anderson and and he's like he yells on because he's really saying no because it's backwards then jonathan's he's he's like looking he's he's like he's never killed someone before and anderson looks at him you know angrily and just like flies out then we see bizarro chrissy beppo she has a bunch of workers at her paper and i think she mentioned like Olson's name she like calls out to him so for whatever reason he's working in smallville then she talks to someone named janet and news is exploding with anderson's face plastered all over they're like who is this guy and janet says that you know she doesn't know but he just walked in so he tries asking to talk to Lois Lane, but they can't understand him because he's he's talking backwards. So then he writes Lois's name down and Chrissy realizes that he's talking backwards and not a different language. So she tells him that no one's uh, seen her since the DOD was, was taking. The other workers are kind of like freaking out now because the news said to come forward immediately. So if they find out that he was there and they didn't say anything, then they're all dead. So she takes his hand and, And she tells him that he has to leave now. So then we see him. He goes to his garage. I think it's where John Henry's staying now. And Because what happened is somehow Chrissy managed to write 22 Miller Road on the back of the paper that that he wrote on. And so she stuck it back in his hand. So then Lois walks in. They go in the basement. um, They see he has both pendants. Jordan asks if he knows what happened to his dad. Anderson can't understand um, you, know, you can't understand what he's saying, but he, but Dad obviously is the same forward and backwards, so he he gets that, and then he's like, "Oh God!" He's like, "I'm so sorry," and he says again. And George's like, "What does that mean?" And Sam says that he's afraid that his father's dead. Anderson looks sad because he, he knows he screwed up. And then Jonathan and Superman arrive, and Lois is, uh, you know, going to check like what's going on, you know, who who got there upstairs. So in the present give me those pendants anderson grabs john and throws him against the refrigerator he's out he's like you know huge dent in the refrigerator door superman's he's like anderson he and he's like you were right he's like we we can't let ally get the pendants so lois ties up jonathan he's still unconscious and sam was like holding a rifle to him like so some anti-superman rifle or something i'm assuming superman tells anderson that when he first got there he saw the other him and Anderson says that yeah, he saw him get killed by by him, motioning to, to Jonathan. And Superman asks, he's like, "How many inhalers, you know, do you have left?" He's like, "One." So Superman says that you know maybe it's enough to get him back to the portal alive. And and he stands up. And Anderson's like, "After everything I've done, you'd still try to save me?" And Superman's like, "I told you before, to me, everyone is worth saving." And see, this is why Superman would never kill. Zod in Man of Steel or never should have. So he says he came here to prove that him and the other Superman were bad guys because he was and you know he's so wrong. So he looks at uh the others and he's like, That's your family on Earth too. And he slowly nods. He's like, and the reason you kept things for me was to protect them. He's like, Yes. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm so sorry. And Superman's like, let's get you and those pendants out of here. But it's too late. Talro, Morgan Edge, uh, Lana and both the Allies arrive, so he gives them to Superman. He's like, "Don't let her get those." Uh, but then Superman goes outside, which seems kind of silly. Allie sees that he has a pendant, and she's like, "Those belong to us, and you're going to give them back." And he's like, "This is not the way to save people." And who makes that decision for Superman? You? And she says that you know the two of them together, you know, it, it's going to get, it's gonna give everyone the power to become their own hero. And he says by merging the people here with those on my world. And Allie says, two halves make a whole. And he's like, people are not halves. You can't just eliminate a population. His Allie says, they're not eliminating, they're combining. Sam moves to go out there with his rifle, but Lois is like, she'll kill you if you go out there. And he says, with those pendants, you know, we're dead anyways. So then his gun gets blasted by ice and he drops it. Jonathan's like, you should have stayed hidden. And he zips back to Allie's side. Anderson zips up and tells Superman to go back to their earth. Now he zips John and Jonathan into the sky. Uh, Morgan Edge, Talro moves towards Superman. He delivers a solid punch to Talro, sends him flying out into the fields, like, like out of sight. Lana moves and hits Superman. Um, Anderson is with Jonathan. He's just like punching and punching. Lana fights Superman. He fights back and he flings her into the sky. Talro attacks. Um, Now it's, it's Talro and Lana against Superman. Jonathan flies down. Anderson flies towards him and slams his his hand against his chest and slams him to the ground. Then there's like, looks like there's like an impression um, and then blood like drips out of his mouth uh, and uh, of Anderson. So Jonathan like slammed it and it just like basically like caved into his, his chest or something like that. So he stands as low as Jordan and Sam stare at him like what he did. And Superman's still on the ground and Jonathan pries the pendant out of his hand and he like tosses it to Allie. And then they both start floating. Everyone's just like watching. So is Jonathan. He's he's a crappy killer here. Uh, flashback. Uh, Bizarro Talro. He's at this like country bar. He's talking to Superman about business and stuff. Then Superman's. He's like, oh, you're gonna be an uncle. Then he's like excited. Um, Bizarro says that they just bought a, a place nearby in Smallville. You know something about this place just drew him there. Lana's like the bartender there. And, you know, she's, like, all, like, sassy and everything like that. So, um, then, you know, we see uh, Lana and Talro, And then uh, it cuts to Talro and Lana about to get married. Lois has a baby carriage, you know, because she, she's had her kids. They have this, like, simple wedding in Lana's house, which seems kind of low-scale. I mean, I thought Talro would have, like, more money. I don't know. Then it cuts to like, Superman being a mess because Lois and Jonathan are gone. He says that once he stops Allie Alston, then he can get Jonathan back and then Lois will come. Tal Rowe says that, you know, he doesn't know if he's like, Do you ever feel like, you know, something's missing? And Jonathan arranged a meeting. He and Lana agree with what she had to say. And Bizarro begs him, He's like, Oh, you have to walk away. You know, you promised you'd be there. And, you know, he's like, She ruined my family. And, you know, he's like, It's, you know, it's complicated. It's like, you know, Lana really believes in what she says. So Tal Rowe obviously is, is buying into Allie's, you know speak speak as well so but i was like you know just walk away from Allie or walk away from me so then in the present tal rose asks he's like you know what's she becoming superman tries moving but you know they they blast him with energy he gets knocked back um one calls a jonathan tells him to merge with his other self find her followers so she tosses him the pendant. um he's like you know we'll prepare you know for her her, her rival tal ro has superman in a headlock he begs him and lana not to let this happen you know he's like his jonathan is a good kid and he's like you know but she's like there's nothing to be done Tauro says that he failed his brother once seeing him there reminds him of what he wants so lana kind of looks surprised and she's like don't the Tauro blows her away he's whoosh. he tells superman to go save his son superman flies up but ali's already merged and then superman goes to the cave he flies through the portal So then, on Earth, we see what we saw the last time when Jonathan's walking up, and because Jordan and Lois are like out in the deck, he's all sad because wait, was it this when uh, when uh, Sarah broke up with them? So then he's like, "Oh, look, Jonathan's home." And then you know, Lois looks, she's like, "That's not our Jonathan," and she's like, "Where's Clark?" And then he's like, "He was was too late." And Jordan asks, "Like, is he okay?" And Jonathan shakes his head, probably not. And Lois, like, why are you here? And he looks down at his hand. He has a glowing pendant. And he turns slowly around as the other Jonathan walks up and confused. And Bizarro John says, For him. And that's where it ends. So he came there to merge, and Jonathan walks up just in time to be merged. And that's the end of the episode. So it's it's good. I really like, you know, the, the bizarro stuff. I mean, I obviously. can be kind of cheesy whatever just to you know try try to flip everything on its end and everything but it just it all worked it it worked out very nicely where you know it it didn't feel cheesy or anything like just try to make it as dark or different as possible and and so like i said i'm enjoying the show so uh, i'm glad it's back okay then with the flash so flash is back uh season 8 episode 12 death rises so you hear like the universe is on fire. Some worlds, there's an aberration, life. So we get this flashback to Caitlyn and Ronnie. They're getting married. Then Death Storm says he's come to end that life. I am Death Storm. It sounds so cheesy when he says it. Caitlyn stands in front of him. She's like, what are you? And he's like, complete, thanks to you. Now I'll return the favor. So he grabs her like by the shoulders, and she starts like glowing in sort of like blue flames, and she like screams, and he snarls, and Flash comes in, throws a bolt of lightning at him. Duststorm sends the a blast at Flash, and he goes flying. Duststorm's like not enough. He's like I'll be back to finish you. So then Frost and Allegra arrive just in time to see you know Duststorm and uh, he leaves. Barry gets up and he he comments he's like my lightning didn't have any effect on him. So then Caitlin is in the med Bay. Barry asks how she feels. I don't know who's checking on her since she's the new resident doctor. So she says that you know she feels lucky to be alive and she's like, she's fine, she guesses. Allegra says that it burned her, but there aren't any marks or anything. And Allegra asks again, she's like, what was that thing? Caitlin says that it calls itself Death storm. And Frosts like, oh, like firestorm only And Caitlin says it wasn't Ronnie. It never was. And Barry's like, how do you know that? And she says, because he told me, whatever they brought back, it isn't human. And it said that Ronnie's death gave him life. With Ronnie, when when Ronnie was gone, it became something more, something incomplete. Then she helped make it whole again. So she tells Barry, she's like, you were right. And Allegra's like, you just did what any of us would have done. And Caitlin's like, no, Ronnie's been dead seven years. And now, you know, this is back in, in his place. So Frost asks Barry if Firestorm wanted Caitlyn for its creepy resurrection, then why is he trying to kill her now? You know he got what he wanted, and he's like, I don't know. Cecile's talks to Barry, then you know she's like, you know, how can I help? And he, he, you know, but then she's like, when I came in, I could feel so much more than just concern off of you. It's like you're hurting. So she seems like she's so nosy and everything. It's it's not like he's like, hey, Cecile, I want to talk to you about this. He's just standing or whatever, and she's like. I can tell something's bothering you this it's just okay you have these powers you need to learn to back off and like mind your own business until wait you know wait for someone to ask you he says that it's Iris and she's like is she okay and he's like I don't know and he's like I don't even know where she is and then he gets a text from Sue the text is like she's back come home so he's like Cecile, I gotta go and he he zips off so he goes back to her place he moves to hug Iris but she like backs away and she's like no and you know sue's there too and he's like what's wrong and iris says that Tinya's mom was the last person that she touched and she's gone because of her time sickness but then sue told him that Tinya attacked her and made her disappear so maybe the still force pulled her in and saved her even though it's also making her sick so sue she's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna give you some space and let them you know be alone together whatever barry um There's he sits next to her, he touches her, he's like, I'm not afraid. So, you know, puts his hand on her leg. And she says that the still force is where the past, present, future exists. But when she was there, she saw moments from before all leading up to now, but she didn't see her future. So, she says that she's like, What if I don't have one anymore? And he's like, No, you do with me. You know, the fact is, you know, we still have Nora and Bart, so you know, they haven't had kids yet, so well I mean I guess that could just be erased so we see this dude waiting for a bus he hears like a hissing you know it's like nighttime. and then he gets up and Dustor grabs him and then drops his burnt husk on the ground so it's like boom this guy's just like dead killed Barry, Iris and Sue are waiting for the still force for, for Dion. Barry gets an alert from Kramer from Captain Kramer whatever uh, he says this is the first time she's used the alert and he doesn't want to leave her alone, but you know Sue's like, well, she won't be because you know she's there with Iris. The police station is getting a lot of calls about death storm, about you know people being taken. Uh, there's apparently like seven reported deaths. Kramer asks Joe, she's like, how did you deal with this? Because Joe ha- happens to be there, even though I guess he's retired. I don't understand. I forget. So they have a threat now that Flash doesn't even know how to stop. And Kramer, so that she goes talks to her officers that you know if anyone has any grief, you know let her or Joe know um, if they see it, you know do not engage all this stuff. Barry tells uh, Team Flash that they don't need the satellites to track Death Storm. Cecile is going to help them find him. There's like the, it's almost like this like soap opera stare down at the end where it's just like you know when it leads into commercials or whatever, but somehow <laughs> they're going to interface Cecile's empath empath powers with stars search engine blah blah it's like they're just making stuff up again like the fact that okay so she has these abilities but somehow they're gonna sync her abilities with the star lab computers how does that even work how do you even understand like she has empath abilities she can read people's you know emotions or vibes or whatever how do you, what do you cook that up to? Do you take like a, 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 you plug a hook like onto her nose or like a clamp? That's what I meant, not a hook. I just don't understand. Like, what, you know, they just, it, they're just literally making this stuff up. So, Allegra and Chester think it could be dangerous for Cele, Cecile because they're like, what if she overloads and all this stuff, whatever. But she's like, no, I can do it. Caitlin's still blaming herself. And she says, now it feels like, you know, she lost Ronnie all over again. Ross is trying to comfort her. Iris at their place just sleeping on the couch, Sue's reading. Then Deon arrives. So he knows about Tinya's mom, but he only knew after it happened and it was like in the past. He's like, that's not how it's supposed to work. So Iris says that, you know, her time sickness is spreading into the still force. Deon's, I guess, is getting sick too. So as soon as he gets his strength back, then he can look for Tinya's mom. So he can see everyone's future except for Iris's. So they have to figure out, uh, what's going on here or she could disappear forever he makes a way to be able to track her in case she disappears kind of like with like the phone app like the way they they found Tinya. so he like makes this green light whatever appear and it goes inside her he kind of looks around he's like something's wrong and then he bends over in pain and he disappears just like, like Tinya's mom did so it's like good job Iris you just killed the Silforce or something happened Chester somehow hooks a monitor up to Cecile's cerebral cortex and she's just sitting there. There's not even like like sensors on her forehead or anything like that. She's just sitting in a chair and there's no like anything pointing at her. It just looks like a regular chair and somehow it's it's synced up. So it's it's just so ridiculous. So he sends out a search for grief across the city. How how do you even do that? How do you quantify I don't know? So the signal is there's a signal detected at Star Labs and then the lights kinda of flicker and it's Cecile's eyes go black and Death Storm's voice like, You're wasting your time. You won't find me until I'm ready So Barry tells Chester to shut it down, but Death Storm says it won't work. So that the empath empath i don't know why i keep saying that right the empath and and he are like one now barry's like dust if you've hurt her and cecile the dust laughs don't bother with hollow threats you can't stop me the truth is there's only one way you'll survive and barry says he's like we'll never give you caitlin then i'll take her from you and then she laughs barry says that they're not afraid of him they faced their grief and dust storm's like you know, there's always the smallest morsel that's left behind, and then Cecile jumps up and she's like, she said she got overwhelmed. And it was like horrible. So Allegra's walking out the hall. The elevator kind of flickers, and then Esperanza, Ultraviolet, is like standing in front of her, and they start like walking around each other, sort of like in circles, like circling each other. It just se- it seems so cheesy, just the way they're, they're talking, whatever. And then Barry arrives, and when he um, the power levels from the flight were detected. He, they they were able to figure out something was going on here. So there's no sign of Esperanza, and then Allegra wonders like, why is it going after her now? So then Iris and Sue talk. You know, it's because it's not just her problem now. It's fracturing time itself. Iris goes on and on about herself. You know, being married to a Speedster makes you appreciate being able to live a whole day in a second. Now it feels like I have no future. But okay, what about like Tinya's mom? She has no future. Or anything she has no life thanks to Iris, and what about Dion? He's gone, So, it's, but it's all about Iris. Like, oh, boo-hoo, Iris. You're so selfish. Iris flickers for a second, then her, like, ah! her head's in pain, and she's like, you know, reaching, whatever, and then, you know, she flickers again. Sue's like, concentrate on being, you know, with me right here, right now. She's so just like Dion said, so then Sue's like, you know, Barry, Nora, and Bart, they need you. They're your future. Write yourself a new future right now. Anchor yourself to them, and it looks like it worked. So, good job, Sue. I mean, at least, you know, you're you're doing something and no one else is. Barry's watching on a computer screen. Joe arrives, and, you know, he has a story to tell Barry. It's about Barry being thrust in a situation where he, he wasn't ready for. Her. It's like, you know, it's, it's always... Joe always has these stories about, like, how Barry overcame these obstacles, these big, you know, whatever in the past, and, you know, how he can use that now again. So, it's like, what's Barry going to do when he doesn't... You know, they get these pep talks when when Joe's leaves next season to do his own show. Caitlin and Frost are in the speed lab because you know they figured to be safe there. But then they hear a noise, and they have this like dumb look of confusion. They're like, what? What's that noise? What can be happening? Of course, dust storms right there. It's like I don't know why they thought that he wouldn't be able to get in there. So he's behind Frost, and he blasts her. Now your life ends. Caitlin screams. And it just seems so out of character. I mean, yeah, it'd be scary, but she's faced threats before. I don't know, but maybe because Deathstorm is kind of freaky looking, I don't know. So there's an alert. Chester tells Barry and Allegra that Deathstorm got in somehow. So and he took Caitlin. Frost is still in the speed lap. She's alive, but she's not responding. So they they track Caitlin's GPS on her phone. Deathstorm's moving pretty fast. So Barry goes to follow barry asks chester about his boots redirecting most energy sources like that he's like does that include currents equal to the kinetic output created when i run and chester says that the two energies would probably cancel each other out it would be like running into a brick wall and barry's like yeah that's what I'm, i'm counting on that and chester starts getting all smiley and this is why i can't stand chester he's like hold on are you about to do what i think you're about to do and he's like, yeah, it's time to ride the lightning. He's like, oh, oh, oh. She's like, oh, my gosh. So Barry runs up the side of a building. He throws, like, these weird, flat, like kind of like lightning discs. And he's, like, kind of stepping on them as he runs. And then he jumps to, to grab onto Dustorm. But then he Dustorm enters a portal, and Barry misses Dustorm. He starts falling. Dustorm and Caitlin appear at, like, a carnival, and... He sends out like this blast wave and it torches like at, at least like five people. They're just like, psh, they're, they're dead. Their energy goes like up in black whiffs of smoke or whatever. And Caitlyn is just like watching in shock. Deathstorm turns to her and she says that if he's going to kill her, just get it over with. But Deathstorm says that, you know, why would he do that? He traveled across the stars to transform her so she could end his loneliness, so she'll become his bride. Um, and then he like touches her shoulder and she screams again so chester picks up her readings barry arrives and sees the bodies and caitlin's like kneeling on the ground and she looks up and her eyes kind of flicker blue and she's like he said i'm not ready yet so she's still not ready caitlin says that all her vitals are elevated her blood pressure is lowered and her body temperature is uh also um but the weirdest thing is in her cells, she's not aging like she's supposed to. And Cecile asks, you know, why would Deathstorm make her stronger? And before Caitlin can answer, she gets like a, a pain in her side. So Cecile asks Caitlin, you know, why is she getting a uh, a big sense of grief from you know inside her? She's like, it's it's enough to you know for an entire family. Barry mentions the people that are dead at the carnival. You know, why doesn't the black flames kill her? And she tells them what he said about traveling to to be with her. You know, she wasn't ready. And, you know, like for what? To to be his bride? And Barry says that, you know, they'll, they'll find a way to stop him. So Barry talks to Allegra and Chester. Says that now they know where Dusturm goes. That when he opened the portal, even though he couldn't get to Caitlyn, he saw inside uh, and he saw it before inside chester's singularity right before he joined a team barry thinks that ronnie's grief traveled through their singularity and it created a death storm then chester reacts to a thought transdimensional particles and allegra says what i've been saying she's like okay now you're just making stuff up <laughs> which is so true he says that uh, there's a bunch of like bunch of malarkey, whatever. But then they're gonna need a person, and Frost volunteers. But Chester says that her powers, you know, might be enough to counter dust storms. So I, they're. I don't even know what they're gonna do. And then uh, the last bit, we see Iris and Sue in the living room. Sue's sleeping, and then Iris hears like this hissing. She stands up, and then whoosh, Eddie's there. He's like, Iris, thank God, so good to see you. So that's like, okay, what? the heck is going on now i mean i knew that he's supposed to be back but yeah no idea what this means so we'll, we'll, we'll see but yeah, you know whatever i mean it is what it is so i'm curious what they're going to do so but that's an interesting thing because like what was reported before what i mentioned that every time eddie appears he's like a different character so it's like a different version so we'll have to see what does this mean You know, why is he there? And does he have speed powers? So who knows? Okay, now it is time for Moon Knight Season... Episode 5, Asylum. I... You know, I'm not really sure how... So as I mentioned last week, the one problem I'm having with the show is the lack of Moon Knight. And I know, yes, we kind of have Moon Knight. You know, it's all about who's Moon Knight is. But I, I think and I, I don't remember exactly what I said last week, but I think part of my problem, I think I said this, is because we're not getting a season two, I feel like we're, we're kind of missing out, uh, like that this is our, our real only real chance to get a Moon Knight show, to see Moon Knight, and we're barely even seeing Moon Knight. It's all about Mark, which again, I guess that is crucial. It's important. Who is he as a person and how does all this work and everything like that? But... Yeah. Other than that, I mean Oscar Isaac, oh my gosh, he's so amazing. Just just the fact that, you know, pulling off like Mark and Steven, two completely different characters and just the way like and now that he's like interacting with himself, I mean it's just like totally different thing. Um, this crazy thing has happened this this episode, so uh let's just get to it. Uh so it starts off you hear this boy yelling in a cave, you know or something like that and there's like is it a cave and or whatever and then there's some lady's like it's all your fault whatever cuts back to where and the last episode with the hippo Mark and Steven screaming and then it cuts to like Dr. Harrow telling him to calm down he's like no I didn't shoot you so he's like back in, in Harrow's office and his, his mind he says his mind is going back and forth between sense and nonsense and but it's weird because it looks like he has a broken nose now You know, there's like a cut, like he has like a bent or whatever. He's like a little beaten up. I'm trying to think is like, because the whole thing is like, is this Jake? Where's Jake? Have we seen Jake? It's probably going to turn out that we have seen him. I don't know if we have or not. So Harold's like, your brain is like a pendulum swinging between a very difficult reality. You know, it's like that you are my patient here at Putnam Medical Facility in Chicago, Illinois, and a reassuring fantasy that you've created on your own, that you're some kind of, I don't know, superhero? He's like, all right, so you are doing everything and everything possible not to look within. And he he says, you're not really a doctor. So it's not Steven. So I think this is Mark's voice. And Harold's like, is that why you keep starting uh, imaginary fights in our hospital? And Harold says that he's like, I, I feel like a doctor. He's like, I, you know, I look like one. He's like, that's okay. He's like, but it's not about me. So he tells Mark to retrace his steps. He's like, how did you come to be here today? And Mark's like, "How did you get here?" And Harold's like, "I took the bus, like I always do." And Mark's he, he says that Mark told him um, he was in a place oddly reminiscent to this office, except in Egypt. So you know we've seen that, and I think I mentioned it. How it's like the same, almost looks like the same set, just redone. He said that he was with a rhinoceros, and Mark whispers hippopotamus. And he's like, "Oh yeah, you're right," but but it talked. I mean, he, he's like, he's like, what, "What do you think? Is that sense?" Or nonsense. And Mark slowly is like, nonsense. And Harold says, Oh, I find this encouraging. He's like, You know, that the struggling mind will build places to seek shelter for different aspects of the self to deal with traumatic memories. He's like, You know, some people see a castle or library. And he's like, Mark. He's like, Is it Mark? So, you know, "I, I think it's Mark. You know, is it Jake? But then Mark's like, He's like, a psych ward. Harold's like, sure. He's like, I'm more interested in, you know, this new animal creature. He's like, the the hippo could break down the walls between you and Steven, and you know, we, we might finally understand. He's like, understand what? And Harold says, you know, you know, before you got upset, you're talking to me about a boy. And he asks about that boy. And Mark says that, you know, he feels really good. He picks up a, a sharp paperweight and he stands up. And Harrow hits a buzzard. And then Mark. I think it's Mark or maybe it's Jake. But Mark's like, you know, they must pay you a lot. He's like, I feel like a million dollars. And two orderly comes in, he starts yelling. He's like, you're going to release that monster. He's going to destroy everything. And Harold tells him, he's like, be gentle with him. And he gets injected like with something like in the neck. And Harold yells. He's like, I'm not your enemy. The whole thing here is like, what is going on? How is this happening? And, you know, at first I felt like Harold's like trying to manipulate him somehow, is he, or is it not? I mean, is this all in Mark's mind? And he's just using an image of hero as like, it cuts to Stephen and Mark screaming in a hallway. Then they calm down and Mark's like, these meds are really amazing. He's like, and then the hippo walks up to him and she asks Stephen if he, if Mark is always so intense. And Stephen's like, it's like, yeah, pretty much. And then she's like, are you twins? And Stephen, you know, Mark's like, no. And Stephen's like, sort of. And she's like, oh, that clears things up. Mark's like, yeah. He's like, just a minute ago, you know, I thought I'd been shot to death. And she's like, oh gosh, this will really bake your noodle. But I think you're just taking a little time out. I'm afraid you're actually quite dead. And he's like, I'm sorry, what? And Steven's like, I I think she's right. You know, she says that she might have something. She pulls out like this little scroll and whatever. She's like, Oh, it's been a minute since, you know, we've had any souls pass through here. And she starts like, uh, she kind of like waves her arm. She's like, "Welcome, gentle travelers, travelers to the realm of the Duat." Stephen's like, "That's the Egyptian underworld," and he he tells Mark that this is uh, a Tau- the goddess of women and children. And Mark's like, "Uh huh." Seems like she's guiding us through our journey to the afterlife. And Mark's like, "Right, like this is the afterlife," and she's like, "An afterlife." not the afterlife you'd be surprised at how many intersectional planes of untethered consciousness exist so I was like, that's interesting then she says that she actually has cards for this so she starts flipping through all these sheets like you know kind of tossing them and everything so because of the, the duat's true nature is impossible for the human mind to comprehend you may perceive this realm as something more easily recognizable to you so she's like a psych ward is a first for me but hey we can roll with it right Steven asks, he's like, why would they perceive it as a mental hospital? And Mark's like, because we're insane. So, and like exasperated, he's like, you know, we're insane. Talking hippo, talking dead bird. You're outside my body now. And now to afterlife, right? Steven tries talking to him. And Mark says, he's like, Dr. Harrow was right. And seems like, Dr. Harrow? He's a doctor now? And Mark's like, he's like, I can prove it. Uh, he's like, through these doors, for example, we go through here, there's gonna be a bunch of patient. And there's Crawley probably about to yell bingo. So I didn't realize that Crawley was the, the guy doing the bingo numbers. I just thought I was like some old dude. Um and then it's like oh my god. So through the door is like the outside of a ship. So it's somehow like going through like a sea of sand. And Mark's like, This is the underworld. So he's like, I'm not crazy. And he asked Tarowit. he's like, where did you say we're going? And Stephen's like, we're sailing to our way or so like to the field of, of reeds. Right. And she's like, well, if your heart is balanced in life, then you'll spend an eternity in, in paradise. But before we get there, so she has to do something. So she like reaches into both their chests and she pulls out their hearts. So he's like, and he look like tiny in her hands. So they're, they're little, they're white. She's, uh, she's like, Oh, I'm excited at work. She's like, I was worried. I was just going to blow your chest wide open. So, I take it she doesn't normally do this. So, she walks over to like there's scales of justice are sitting there on the outside of the ship. She's going to weigh them against the feather of truth. So, she puts them both on the scale on one side, feather on the other side. So, Stephen explains that the ancient Egyptians believed that the heart was a sign of who you really were in life. If the scales are balanced by the time you end the journey, then they should be able to pass into the field of reeds. And Mark asks, he's like, well, what if they don't balance? Towerwet says, then you get thrown overboard. Woo. The dead will drag you down into the the duat, and you will, where you'll remain forever frozen in sand. So no unbalanced souls on my boat. It's like, them's the rules. So finger crossed for you guys. Hey, Mark says to Steven, he's like, I don't care what she says. Like, there's no way we're ending, ending up down there in the sand. He's like, you know, we're also not going to the field of reeds. He's like, if it comes to it, he's like, I'll kill the hippo and steal the boat. She calls him over because, like, the scales are are now like kind of moving like up and, up and down against the feather. So she's not sure why it's doing that. She lifts the heart. She's like, they're not not full. So it's the, it's like they each feel incomplete. So without balanced scales, the duat will eventually claim their soul. And so you know, there's like are there any suggestions? Well, she says that the boat contains all of a life's memories. So she doesn't know what they've been hiding but she suggests that they get in there and show each other the truth so balance the scales before they arrive at the field of reeds or their souls will be destroyed so they go inside steven wonders if layla's all right mark's like yeah probably for now he also suggests that she probably wouldn't have a problem dealing with the hippo it's like like that she would like take her out you know if if needed Steven says that, you know, they'll just have to sort through the memories. He looks through the window of a door and we can see Moon Knight, like, beating the jackal in the bathroom, like, from the first episode. Mark says that he's like, well, you know, his memories are a mess. And he seems kind of, like, reluctant or whatever. Steven says, he's like, oh, mine are too. Like, through another door, you can see Mr. Knight with uh, Khonshu, you know, changing the stars. And Mark's like, oh, that's wild. Steven goes to another one. He's like, what's this? And you see a dude standing on the street by a car. So it's like, is this Jake? Because there, I think there's a cab in the background. He's not standing by a cab, but by another car. And he, uh, Stephen, asks Mark, he's like, "Do you remember that?" And he's like, uh, "Yeah, it's it's just a street." And he's like, "You know, how many streets have you walked down in your life?" So it's like that seemed a little odd. It's like, what what's going on there? There's obviously something there, and we'll find out later. So then they hear a boy yelling, "Help!" So Stephen runs through the door into a room, and Mark's like trying to stop him. He follows him. It's kind of dark. And there's like a bunch of dead people like sitting at like lunch tables, and Stephen says like, "Oh, just a creepy cafe filled with dead bodies." He's like, "No prizes guessing whose whose room this is." Yours, Mark says like, "Oh, funny." So the scales are in a room too, and they're still swinging back and forth. So Mark like looks at the dead people and he's like, "Dubai, Gabon, New York." He's like, "No way, oh man." And Steven's like, "Do you know these people?" And he's like no oh no surely not all of them he's like you killed all of them and mark's like they were criminals murderers predators he's like the worst of the worst Kanchu, you, you know wanted them punished he's like it's it's what he meant by protecting the travelers of the night and steven asks if uh he's like Do you and you remember each person and mark's it's like you try taking a life see how quickly you forget he's like i kept wishing i'd fail one and all right fail and one of them would kill me instead he's like the healing end up being a curse so steven says that the the scales are slowing down so it's working mark says that he's like well you know what do we do now you know and does steven go next steven points to a kid and he's like who's that and he's like mark why is there a child in a room filled with people that you've killed and mark's like he tells Stephen, "He's like, don't don't go near him." Stephen goes after him, but the kid runs off. He goes into this other room, and Stephen goes after, and he locks the door so Mark can't enter. So it's like, why is there a kid in there? Is this why you know Mark's being kind of kind of skittish? No, it's not. It's not what you think. So the door is just kind of sitting outside, and then he sees his mom in the backyard cooking on a grill, and Mark's there with his little brother Roro uh, Randall. Mark like teases him he's he's because he drew a, a fish with only one fin. And his mom's like, oh be nice. So he drew a fish with one fin. But that's that's what Stephen had. Is so does that mean was that real or not? Did he really have a fish with one fin? Or is it just because of this memory? So Steven's like, I didn't know I had a brother, and Mark whispers he, the little Mark, he whispers to brother, he's like, I'm not hungry. You want to go to the cave? And he says he does. So Mark's like, we'll eat later. And mom says, keep an eye on your brother. And Mark's like, later, gators. In a wild crocodile. Steven follows him uh, into the woods. So they're, they're, they're playing, they are they're They playing. start playing like Dr. Grant and his companion, like in the movie In, in the Asylum. And Steven's like, Dr. Grant? So uh, it starts raining. And the brother's like, mom said not to when it's raining. And Mark's like, it'll be fine. Don't be a baby. So Mark is like walking through the halls at the asylum. He's like trying to look for something like maybe another way. He's what he's probably trying to do. He knows where this memory is. So he's trying to figure out another memory that he can go. This is what he's doing. What I'm assuming because what, from what comes up, he's trying to see how he can like intercept Steven. So Stephen is still following. Um, he takes a step back and he sees that he stepped like on a bird skeleton, and it kind of looks like Kanchu, but it's you know it's just a bird. The kids enter the cave. Stephen goes to catch up because you know he paused for a second. He sees the, the water like starting to stream through the cave, and he knows that that's not good. So he yells, even though obviously they can't hear him. But you know he's like, oh, I got to get them out of there. She's like, the water is rising way way too fast. Mark is uh, trying some some doors now. And he walks up to one, and it's startled by his mom just, like, standing there, like, looking out. Stephen's still calling. He's trying to crawl through, like, a small area. Water's, like, getting pretty deep. Voices cry out, help us, please, help us. And Randall's calling for his his mommy. Mark tries calming himself, saying, it's just a memory. It's just a memory. He looks to another door, and he sees his mom and his dad. And so others like, sitting in a room. It's like, there's, like, a wake. Uh, You see, like, a rabbi sitting there. Stephen is there mark calls out to him and you know the mom's like very quiet and she's like i want my row row back the little mark comes down the stairs and she like glares at him what are you doing here hmm? you are supposed to keep him safe you let him drown this is all your fault and she's screaming at, at him now he like runs upstairs steven follows but and like adult mark tries like getting him aside he's like don't go up there So Stephen finds another memory up there. He sees uh, his dad, Elias, is like calling out to Wendy, to his mom. There's like a birthday party, whatever. They're about to blow out the candles. Mark's sitting in front of the cake. And then he's like, she's not coming. And dad's like, well, your mother's not feeling well. So Mark is still calling out to Stephen. Stephen goes up to the next level. There's like another birthday and uh, dad gives him a cake. The mom walks up. She's like, you're always so jealous of him ever since he was born. And she's like drinking now. She's like, I should have known that you would do something like this. And a little Mark gets upset and he like runs upstairs. Steven follows. So now he's, he's outside the bedroom and he opens the door, but Mark grabs and pulls him back. And then they're like outside. He's like, what happened in that room? Mark and Steven, you know, he, he's like, he's like, why are you remembering her like that? That's not what she was like. And he tries going back, but Mark's like making him walk then you know older mark is is walking out with a bag and he, he's probably like you know late teens or whatever and dad's like you like you have to come back he's like she'll get some help and you know he says that he'll fix this and mark's like you're supposed to fix this i mean he's like why haven't you so mark and steven are still struggling in the street you know trying to see like what's going on you know mark is trying to take adult steven away but then the dad tells the younger Mark, "He's like, I can't lose another son, please." And Stephen's like watching, and like Mark like tackles him. They land in a desert, and you see like a car burning. There's like bodies on the ground, and Mark's looking around. And Stephen's like, "Where the where the heck are we now?" And Mark's like, "Oh God." So Stephen says that Harrow said that he was a mercenary that he, they killed cossages. And Mark's like, "And you believe that?" And he's like, "Yeah, I wouldn't put it past you." Mark says, you know, it turns out going AWOL in the fugue state gets you discharged from the military. He's like, I didn't have a lot of options after that. So I just went, you know, work for hire for my old CO Bushman. He's like, the job was to raid an Egyptian tomb. Bushman changed the plans. He called for no witnesses and I couldn't live with that. So Stephen sees that one of them is Layla's dad. And Mark says that he tried to get them all away, but they didn't make it. And Stephen asks, he's like, well, what happened to you? And Mark points to the tomb they see a bloody mark, like crawling on the ground. There's like a big statue of Kanchu. He collapse collapses on the steps. He has a gun. He's about to shoot himself in like the head. Like he's got points it under his jaw. He closes his eye, and Kanchu's like, "What a waste!" And he's like, "Huh?" He's like, "I feel the pain inside you." And he's like, "Ah." He's like, "What, what the heck are you?" He's, "I am the god Kanchu in search of a warrior." And Mark scoffs, "To be my hands, my eyes, my vengeance." To be my final word against the evildoers to bind your very being to me and eradicate only the worst those who deserve it do you want death or do you want life and mark whispery's like i don't know conscious like i can feel your mind is fractured and broken most fascinating you are a worthy candidate in exchange for your life do you swear to protect the travelers of the night and bring my vengeance to those who would do them harm steven comments he's like ah that sneaky old vulture was manipulating you from the start and mark says that you know he, he was keeping him alive steven says he was taking advantage of you and mark says you know or maybe it was just a way for him to keep being what he always had been a killer Kanchu asks him again you know what he wants to do mark's like yeah <clears throat> so steven sees the scales have they done it is it balanced Kanchu tells mark to rise his eyes glow white rise and stand again as my fist of vengeance as my moon knight and then the suit forms on him and then they hear us like some noises so going to the top of the ship tower says that fear is spreading in the upper world so the unbalanced sounds are being judged or condemned to the sands before their time she's like this is bad this is evil steven says that well we have to go back and she's like even if she could send him back he'd just be returning to a body with a bullet in it and, you know, he wouldn't be able to heal. Mark asks if there's a way to get word to Layla to free Kanchu. And she asks if he's sure that he wants to be with Kanchu again. Because it seems like, you know, he really wanted to get away from him. Mark says that he did, but this is their only shot. So she agrees. But Osiris isn't going to like this. So she redirects the ship, tells them to hurry with the scales. Stephen says that there's something... In that bedroom that mark doesn't want him to see but mark doesn't want to go back through it all again he says they can just talk you know right there in in the hall if they don't go back harrow wins and layla dies if she dies that's on mark's head he's like this will be all your fault and mark screams like no 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 he's like you can't i won't do it i won't do it you can't make me you can't make me and he's like smacking himself in the face too so back at harrow's office so it's like weird He's like what what's going on? Mark's like smacking himself and Harold tries calling him down and Mark looks and he's like did you inject me with something? And Harold laughs. He's like he says he's like you watch too many movies. He's like we can't involuntarily involuntarily sedate patients. And here now Mark's nose is better. It's not like like cut and broke. Harold says that you know what he's been doing is so difficult. They look and feel so real. And, you know, he's been at it for hours. So he's been peering inwards, looking deeply into all the moments that make him him. So he hands him some water. He's like, oh, I'm so proud of you. And he asks if he thinks that he created Stephen to hide from all the awful things that he feels he's done in his life. Or does he think Stephen created Mark to punish the world for what his mother did to him? So he has to open up to Stephen. There can be no progress without understanding so then we see little mark like sweeps you know the desk knocks some like action figures off the desk he sits on the floor you know you see the, the drawing of the fish is hanging on his wall that his brother did mark and stephen are both in there now and Steven's like it's like oh i remember some of these things from this room he's like but i don't remember this and then there's like a pounding on a door and he kind of gets scared and he says it's not my mom and mark's like he, he says like it's not my mom so she tells him to open the door. It gets louder. And his eyes go white. And he turns into like someone else. He has a British accent. The Little little Mark does it. He's like, bloody hell. Look at the state of this place. Better sort it out before mom sees it. And then Steven says that the last bit with him, like he remembers this now. Then Steven sees a Tomb Busters movie poster on the wall. So Stephen realizes that he made him up. The mom finally knocks the door open. Little Stephen just keeps cleaning, like doesn't even react to her. And she says that she's like, "You're going to learn to listen." And she takes a belt of his. that's like hanging. It's like, "Why do you have to make me do this?" So Stephen, he wants to see what what she did. But Mark's like trying to pull him out. She calls him a disgusting human. And out in the hall, Mark's like, "You don't do not need to see that. Is you're not meant to see that." And that that's he's like, "That's the whole point of you." So Stephen punches Mark in the face, and it hurts his hand. And he he says that, he's like, am I just supposed to be your stress ball? Like all this time, like I thought I was original, but you know, I'm just something made up that you made up. And Mark says that, he's like, you got to live a happy, simple, normal life. He's like, yeah, but it was all a lie, wasn't it? So what, what does it matter? You know, you want to remember the truth that you had a mother that beats you, that hated you, that made your life a living hell and seems like you're lying. He's like, you're just trying to upset me. You got to live thinking that she loved you, that she was kind, that she's still alive. And Stephen whispers, what? He's like, what are you talking about? She's alive. I speak to her every day. What are you talking about? And Mark's like, he says, he's like, dad called me after all these years about her Shiva. And I couldn't do it. So Steven says like, he's like, oh, you got it all wrong. And Mark's like, he says, sorry. He's like, no, no, no. And he's like, let me out. Um, he's like, let me out. Let me out. Back in Harrow Steven wakes up, splashes the water in Harold's face, and Stephen like stands up. He's like, Oh, I'm sorry. And Harold's like surprised that he he's like, Wait, Steven? He's surprised that he's talking to Stephen now. He's like, It's good to see you again. And seems like, Hold up, what's this? He's like, It's some kind of test. And he looks around, and he's like, I recognize this place. And Harold says, He's like, I'm your doctor. Oh, yeah? And Steven's like, it's so strange. He's like, the little haircut, the little silly tash you have there. He's like, it's very Ned Flanders. He's like, what's Tarouette up to now? And Harrow says, he's like, oh, it's my fault. It's like I asked Mark to open up to you. He's like, I've been worried about him. And and you know, he brought he brought himself there after his mother passed. And Steven starts like getting upset. He's like, My mother's alive. And he's like, if you say it again, I will freak out and harold's like oh he's like yeah i must be mistaken he's like would you like to speak with her he's like why don't we call her and steven's like snot and i start making ex- excuses He's like oh he's like i don't have her number on me he's like uh, let's not bother her um she screens her call she won't answer and then he calls and he's like oh yeah whatever he hands him the phone and steven's just like holding it and he's like softly whispers he's like my mom is dead and he says it again, and a tear rolls on his face. But this is just like, oh my gosh, Oscar Isaac, just like the performance, how he's just like, he's like, he was scared. He's like, you know, don't call her, don't call her, because he, you know, he knows that she's not there, but he doesn't want to admit it. So then we see a, a flashback to the wake for the mom. Dad walks up to the window. He sees Mark standing outside by the car. So this is the memory that Stephen mentioned before. And we see Mark take like a, a swig from a flask, just staring at his dad. And the dad looks at him. And he's like kind of motions at him to come inside. And Mark just like shakes his head. Starts walking down the street. And he's like, no, he's like, not going to do it. Not going to give her the satisfaction. He starts like crying. He like falls to his knees in the streets. He takes off his yarmulke, kind of like kind of hits the ground. And he says that he's sorry. His eyes kind of flicker out. And it's Stephen. But it's like, so he's doing all this stuff. He's in the middle of the road. And his, his dad, he's just like, oh, okay. He's like, he's there, but now he's not coming in. So Steven now, he's like, where am I? He's like, bloody hell. So he takes out his phone and you know he calls his mom. And he's like, I did it again. I'm totally lost. And Mark's there like talking to Steven. He says that this is where their lives started bleeding together and mark says that you know he couldn't face it again like all the horrible things she'd done and steven's like all those horrible things she said to you she's like she was wrong it wasn't your fault and mark's like he says that he shouldn't have brought him to the cave and steven's like you were just a child it wasn't your fault and then like the ground kind of shakes and steven's thinks that they've just stopped the the gates are above so they, they are up at the top now. Tarawet says she's never seen the gates so up close, but they're closed. And Mark's like, well, how do they open them? And she's like, I'm sorry, the, the scales never balance. So your journey's come to an end. She's like, I can't stop the inevitable. And you know, she says that you know she was really rooting for them too, but the unbalanced souls of Duat must now claim theirs. So these zombie people start like, um, climbing out of the sand like onto the ship like over the side Steven's like oh they don't look too friendly one has like a knife and Mark tells him to hide he's like Gabon New York Dubai they start attacking he like as he hits him it's just like some sand kind of flies out of them but you know it doesn't really do much then they start like kind of overwhelming him so they're about to throw Mark over the side Stephen moves he goes to like the the, the steering thing and he like steers the boat so like it kind of tips and mark like falls back in mark gets uh smacked in the face with a bat and he's pretty much out of it so they start like dragging him then steven's like mark he's like it's like you've got this but i'm you too that means i've got this too so he manages to knock one one dude down picks up the bat swings it at the two holding mark and then he yells six he tells mark that he prefers cricket so i guess that means something um, this big dude comes at him from behind. He he smacks him with the bat like over and over again. He's just like just a pile of sand. Then this other grabs Mark from behind. Steven runs up. But then Steven and the zombie fall over the edge. Mark's like, Steven. Um, Steven groans. He's like on the ground. And Mark keeps calling. He's like, Steven. And he gets up. He's like, wait, wait. He's like calling out to the ship because the ship's like moving, even though I thought it stopped. But then Mark yells, he's like, Keep running. And then he's like, "Stop the boat!" And Stephen's feet starts kind of like dragging as he's trying to walk, you know, go run through the sand. And then um, he's he falls to his knees and he reaches out. He starts turning to sand. Then he's like a statue. And Mark's like, "Stop the boat!" But then the scales have balanced. So Mark now is in the field of reeds he's just like kind of standing there it's just like this big field like golden skies or like that there's nothing around as far as as he can see and he's just standing there and that's the end and that's the end of the series just kidding we got one more episode so man i mean <laughs> I I, just, I don't know what to really make of that. So he's come to terms with himself and you know with his mother and and you know realizing that you know he wasn't to blame for everything. And but what does this mean? Is does this mean Stephen's gone? Uh, can he be gone? I I mean how do, how does that work? Because he you know it, this is all in his mind. But he created him. Can he? Re- I I don't know. So we'll have to see. And the fact that we've never had Jake. Because the whole thing is like, oh, the scales have to be balanced. So they need to go back. So it's like, they need to go get Jake, right? Nope. <laughs> so it's like they keep teasing us. I don't think we're ever going to get Jake. I don't know if we're ever going to get Moon Knight again. Because it's like, oh, man. And the, the rumor is that the last episode is only going to be like 42 minutes. So like the shortest episode of all of them. Last episode of, this, of the miniseries. And it's like so short. Uh, it, it this it's definitely a, a crazy it's something of a show it's 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 amazing it's not again not what i would have expected or wanted but i guess that's how it is so we'll have to see oh man i don't know okay star trek pick hard season two episode nine it turns out this is the f- season finale i i don't know why i had i thought i saw there was 10 episodes but there's only nine so everything' needs to be wrapped up I think I think it started out with, like, on a ship, Rio sees it, like, the transport things being activated. Can't stop it. Uh, sees several, like, appear outside. He tells the, the doc and, and her kids that they have to get out of there. He goes to get weapons, but Borg soldiers start arriving. Then Girardi, and um, she goes to her, her old, old body in the morgue. She's like, oh, I look better. And then she looks, and she says that you know, she's starting to feel like her old self. But still, she's keeping, like, Gerardi's body or something like that. Picard, Seven, Talon, and Rafi arrive outside via Talon's teleporter, whatever thing. And Picard says that if the Queen is planning on taking a ship, that they have to defend it no matter cost. Seven asks, um, like, defend it with what? And Talon gives them something. She's like, that's all I have. So she has a couple guns. But she's like, you know, how much time do they have? Rios uh, and the doc and the kid come up. And he's like, none. She's already here. She's already on the ship. And he's like, and there's more, lots more. So Borg soldiers are, are coming at them with rifle. Picard says that she mean, means to pin them down while she takes the ship. So Girardi uh, Queen goes to control to the controls, but there's like so is there a force field it's like just there's there a barrier why can't she touch it it's actually agnes and we see her like so now we see her body in in the board queen and she's like i won't let you take the ship and the queen's like says that she could feel her still inside chattering about and girardi asks if she knows what it's like to try choking your friend and not to be able to do anything about it the board queen's kind of says oh kind of like hanging limbless and helpless." Gerardi says that she's been poking around her trash dump of a mind, and she's like, "Wow, by the way, she's like, she's like, I had to know, know why millions of species and planets, yet you just wanted more." And the Borg Queen says, "You know, perfection takes time, dear." It's like the, the fact that she calls her dear seemed a little weird. Gerardi says that you know this was never about perfection or evolution. It was never enough because she's just like her, lonely, and she says that. If she takes the ship and lets Sung win, then in 400 years, the confederation wipes out her entire collective. The Borg Queen says that she sees the branch, but not the tree. They know about the confederation's threat now, so they'll be able to prepare. Time is on their side. Yes, it is. <laughs> she finally manages to touch a council, Error. Key code required for access. Girardi says that she used a Borg Queen's puppet code or something like that to slap a fractal lock on the ship's systems. Borg Queen says that she'll just scrape that code out of her mind. Girardi says, except I'm not an idiot and I didn't memorize the code. So she couldn't stop her, but she can stall her. So it turns out the ship can make a hologram from anyone who's been on board, including an emergency combat hologram. So hologram Elnor appears and asks, how may he be of service? So Girardi encoded the digital key in the safest place they could find him. And yet she just turns him on, I guess. So Girardi says hi to Elnor. He's like, let's play keep away with pleasure. So he starts uh, attacking like one of the soldiers. Um, He takes, you know, one out with his own gun. So this Elnor is like so quick to kill everyone, you know, even though there are different times or whatever. Outside, they see that she brought no. That she made an army. Seven says that they're not people; that they're Borg. So it, it's just they're, they're ready are already gone. So just kill them. So and then this uh, like like big flare, explosive, whatever thing goes off. Picard has a flashback sitting with his parents. Dad asks, you know, how she is, and she says that she hasn't had an incident in some time. Maybe things are changing for the better. Little Picard, he wants to play a game, and she, she suggests hide and seek. So then there's nine soldiers, then eight. There's more coming. Rios gets hit, gets like shot in the arm or something like that. Picard tells Talon to beam Rios, uh, the doc and the boy, to safety. And Rios is like, I'll be back. But then Picard locks him out. He tells the others, he's like, he's wounded. He'd only get himself killed, which is kind of dumb because they need all the help that they can get. You know. So it's like, okay, yeah, he's wounded and he might get himself killed, but he could help out. It's like one life versus the countless others if the Borg Queen gets her way. It's like, what? what, what? So they're going to split up and go around. Uh, Talon and Picard lay are going to lay down fire while Seven and Raffi go to the Chateau. Um, then Soon calls out to Picard. He tells him to wait. He's like, fire, and you'll receive far worse than kind. Or you can hear my offer. I'm not or wasn't a violent man. And Picard says, or the promise of legacy revealed the rot that is hidden underneath it. Soong says he knows a future worth fighting for. And Picard's like, so do I. And Soong says that they're outnumbered and his new friends back there. Well, I've heard you're familiar with them. Picard says that, you know, Soong helps her take the ship. She destroys the Europa mission from orbit tomorrow. And Soong has a future. What? So why does Parley? Soong says that Picard is a rogue unknown to him. So he wants to know what's going on. He's like, stand down, surrender. Soong Will take the path of least resistance to the future, and Picard and his friends can still have one. So Picard's like, Well, what if we refuse? Then we'll take a far muddier path, and you'll die running. So it's like, What the heck does Sung know about them or anything for that matter? He's acting all like high and mighty. It's like, Dude, you're just a scientist that was making clones. Picard thinks back to, like, the hide-and-seek with his mom, He's and he's like, hide-and-seek indeed. He's like, then you'll have to find us first. So be it. Seven and Rafi are inside the house. Um, the green laser sighting that the rifles have in the rifle, right, it's really helping them because they know when to, like, duck from a window or hide around a corner or something like that. It's just so silly. I never understood. It's like, okay. One soldier, like, busts in. There's a fight. It's, um. It was pretty dark as I'm trying to watch it, so I can barely see what's going on. The... The two manage to stab him in the head or something like that. There's more more Borgs coming, and they're they're barely Borgs. They're just like regular soldiers, but they're under control. Um, Picard tells Talon that they can't go in or out, but they can go down. There's a series of tunnels below. We see a flashback. He wants to go. Um, his mom wants to go down below, but Picard's little Picard says that Dad forbade him to go down there. In the present, he remembers that there's a where the secret switch is. So Talon says that she's seen this place in his mind. So she's like, what happened there? And Picard says that like in a second world war, the French resistance converted the place, storage for weapons, communication, locked it all away when the Nazis invaded. But Talon's like, that's not what I meant. She's like, in your memory, this place was unusually dark. And he said that he followed his mother down there and he lost her or rather she lost herself. And he says that there's a hatch that will take them to the other side of the ship. So Seven is telling Rafi, she's like, let's go. She's like, we can still take them. Rafi's like, you sound like a captain. She's like, you should have joined Starfleet. And Seven says that she tried after Voyager, but they shut her down. You know, was it because she was Borg? And Seven's like, well, you know, Janeway went to bat for me. You know, she threatened to resign, but I I gave it up, went full ranger. And then Seven says that, you know, a a dozen Borg between them and the ship, 50 yards across open terrain, and all they have is a knife and a corkscrew. And Rafi's like, and an ice pick. And she's like, you really would make a great captain. She's like, when we get out of this, Sam's like, we're not getting out of this. And Rafi, like agrees. She's like, nope, probably not. So they run. Uh, the bar Queen, the soldier, is like, you can't hide forever. Then Holo Elnor grabs some pistols. He uh, goes for a rifle instead at, at the weapons thing. And he finds a sword. There's a sword, too, in the ship. Why was there a sword on the ship? I don't know. Rios tries overriding the, the controls. And then Doc tells him that he's just going to get himself killed. So he's trying to teleport out of Tallinn's place, wherever they're at. And um, she wants to try extracting a bullet from his arm or whatever. Soon, and the soldiers are looking for Picard. So of course, Soon sees some like plaster dust on the floor. I mean, it's like pitch black in there. So of course he walks right up to the secret door. I mean, the place has been uninhabited for how long? It's dirty, it's dusty. And he's like, Oh, look at this. There must be a secret door here. Oh, look at this. This must be where the button is. And he turns in the thing. Picard has a memory of him finding his mom. She says that she that he won, you know, from hide and seek, but she's lost. And then, you know, she talks about Starlight, because he he says something about the stars. And she's like, Oh, Starlight is really an echo to Star that's faded, like me. And he remembers um, or she says, like, remember her like what she was before. Picard tells Talon that. That he found his mom, but his father locked her away in that room. And then, you know, he opened the door. Soon and the others are right behind him. So Picard finds this old pistol that still works. He shoots a soldier, but then, like, runs out of ammo. So he probably didn't realize it, that that was all it had. Elnor, meanwhile, kills some soldiers. The Borg Queen finds him. He says, She's like, I found you. And he's like, oh, I wasn't hiding. Rafi and Seven are on a ship now. And he says, that you know he's not the real Elnor, but real enough to say it's you know it's good to see her. He says that the code to unlock the ship is inside him. Rafi wants to keep it there so the Borg queen can't use a ship. But Seven says that they need access and she has an idea. So the ship systems unlock. Seven wants a path to the transporter. Then Rafi knows that it's not Elnor, but she talks to him saying, you know, she says that she didn't keep him back because she was worried for him. It was because she was frightened of being alone. Holo Elnor says that he shares a recollection of Elnor's final breath enough to know that his last thoughts of her were not of blame, but of love. And then Seven yells out, she's like, the way is clear. Let's go. So Picard tells Talon that one path goes deeper into the chateau. The other goes out to the field. So they start going one way, and then they have to turn around because, again, they see the laser sightings. So it's like, thanks for the warning. So they turn around. Rafi and Seven are at the transporter controls. They see laser sightings coming again. Elnor says that he'll hold them off as long as possible. And then um, then the soldiers, like, transport out. So it's like, wait, what? Picard and Talon are walking in the tunnels, and then some shapes start teleporting in, into the wall. So that must be what Seven was doing. Get them to the transporter and then transport them so they die. That's like a cruel death. Elnor says that Seven's plan was successful. He detects only one Borg on board now. So guess who? Um, Borg Queen starts walking towards him. Seven sets the controls to transport her to the brig. She shimmers and then nothing. So Seven's like, she must have a transport inhibitor. So I'm thinking, why the heck would anyone need one of those what the heck is a transport in here why would you need that so i actually looked it up and i guess it's a thing i I guess you would have a transport inhibitor so someone doesn't transport you away without your permission or whatever i remember didn't it always have to be like energized or you know or whatever you'd have to i guess anyone can just transport anyone like they're doing here so okay um, the board queen and elnor are fighting with swords okay he ends up knocking her to ground seven and rafi pull guns on her and she's like oh three against one isn't fair and then uh seven pleads to gerardi to do something he's like don't make us you know do this right you know we have you d- you know dead to rights and Borg queen's like do you now and then s- some hoses from the ship start attacking one knocks elnor and rafi away stabs seven in the gut And then the Borg Queen asks the computer to transport primary controls to her. Seven's in pain, you know, and uh, she's on the ground. The Borg Queen says the set coordinates for the Delta Quadrant. They have 400 additional years to expand the the collective. Rafi is pleading with the Borg Queen to do something for Seven, but the Borg Queen talks on and on about, you know, common words in a million languages she's absorbed, like hope and fear, whatever. And then Rafi picks up a gun to shoot her, but gets knocked back by another host. Attack the killer hoses. The Borg Queen picks up a knife while talking about you know species, you know trying to fight against death or whatever like that. And so she's gonna kill uh, seven. Picard and Talon reach the sun room. They're about to head to the ship, and then soon comes in with some soldiers. He talks about I know lab rats and mazes and about forcing them to the surface. So it's just like he's such a cheesy cornball villain. It just seems so I don't know. Just how yeah whatever. Um, the board queen thrusts the knife to stab seven, but then her hand stops. So Girardi's fighting her, and then like tears are coming out of her eyes, and board queen's confused, as, like why she's crying. And Gerardy just talking about like the same chemicals used to take control—dopamine and adrenaline—they aren't just produced by a few drinks and a torch song. It's like sadness, loss, despair. So like basically, what happens when? You know, she hurts her friends. She's like, that cooks the same neural soup, only this time it allowed her to wrestle some control back. The Borg Queen's like, impossible. And Girardi says that, you know, you could have been well on your way if you had just shown a little mercy. So Borg Queen is, is mad, she tries stabbing again, but then her hand stops again. Picard tells Soong that he doesn't understand the future that he's about to create. And he's like, thriving, prosperous, I'm told. He's like, we're beloved across the galaxy. And Picard's like, feared and soong says we have to create our own destiny to men like us you know love and fear are the same thing it's a means to an end borg Queen's looking around images are like floating or like around Girardi says that it's the history of the borg or the, the ending they always lose they leave with the death knell across infinite timelines so she longs what they all long for for connection longevity for discovery only she offers it without choice what if they work together? The galaxy is full of people who need saving. You know, one of them is lying at her feet right now. And Borg Queen's like, you mean to pull for derelict ships? Pull from the scraps? And Girardi's like, "We're and offer them second chances. What if we take the ship and build a better Borg? A real collective based not on assimilation, but salvation. A Borg collective that embraces the uniqueness of its members. And the Borg Queen says that, you know, she asked them to, she's like, you're saying we should embrace weakness. Girardi says that what she says is weakness is actually strength, you know, cooperation. Borqueen Queen says, your proposal is absurd, but not entirely unintriguing. Girardi says, just imagine members who would fight harder for what they chose. They would, choose, they would lose no battles because they made no enemies. They wouldn't be discarded and replaced. You know, they'd be loved like Seven. Wasn't she the best of what, you know, we could be someone who used her Borg half to serve the best of her humanity. Let's build a better universe of sevens. Let's start with this one. Soon says to Picard, he's like, it's a shame. In another future, he imagines that they might have become friends. He's like, he says goodbye, Picard, turns his back, and he motions the guards to shoot. Rios, meanwhile, gets a system to start to reboot somehow. He's able to hack some technology that he probably doesn't even understand. But he says that he thinks he's got it, The doc's like, she's like, well, what if I don't want you to get it? She's like, what if I don't want you to go? And he's like, Teresa. He's like, I don't belong here. And she's like, why? This isn't my timeline. I'm just trying to protect it. And she's like, well, what if this, you know, what if your future is here and this is where you're supposed to be? And, you know, this seems like a pretty big ask. It's like, you know, they haven't even gone on a date really. And this is like way more massive than just like asking someone to move in together. She's like saying, I want you to not... Go back to your time to stay here and be with me, even though we might not like each other. And, you know, because whatever. He looks at her, smooch, and then he goes. So there's a laser target on Picard's forehead. Then Rios um, teleports in through Talon's thing, right in front of Dude, and shoots him. This other dude grabs Rios. They struggle. The first dude, when he disintegrated, he dropped the key that Picard notices. Soon picks up a gun and points it at Rios. And he says that, you know, he's like, you probably don't have to be for in the future to fire it Rios is like no but you do need the right DNA and if you hold it too long boom so he tosses it up and explodes but then he like runs away so it's like okay Um, should he have told him it was going to explode I don't know I guess he probably should have because he probably needs both his hands to do his normal I don't know so the Borg Queen puts down the knife and it like wire shoot out of her hand. And Rafi's like, stop, you're killing her. Cause it's like going into like seven and Borg Queen's like, she'll live, but there was a cost in saving her. So just from those wires, seven has her implants back. I don't know how that created it up, but it did. And Rafi's like, Gerardi, is that you? And she looks at Rafi. Yes. No, I think we're becoming something new, something better. And then Seven just kind of, like, looks at her. Rios says that he has to get to the ship. And he tells Picard, he's like, you're welcome, by the way. Picard picks up the key, flashback to him letting his mom out. So he opened the door and says that, you know, he's having the strangest memory. Talon says, you know, follow it, see where it leads. He says there are moments and times that, you know, we wish we could go back to. As a kid, he sees his mother um, hanging in the sunroom. And the kid just, um, you know kind of like walks away Picard talks about being able to back away from memories that this was a moment that he kept himself from remembering the moment um, he's like this moment I'm so powerless to reverse you know, his mother was ill that you know as he was he was told he always thought that she was just inspired. Um, his father locked her away in a room for her own safety and maybe his she begged him to let her out she needed him so this is the part where he spent his whole life trying not to remember he thought that he was saving her. And after his dad fell asleep, he let her out. Uh, you know, he thought that, you know, she would just grow into an old woman, whatever. Um, Talon talks about love and grief and love can be a curse, but always and completely it's a gift. And she hugs Picard. So I don't know if... So he opened the door and I guess he saw his mom, but then he thought that she just got away. Yeah, so I guess that's probably what, what happened. I okay, At first it was like, did she walk out and find something to hang herself? She probably just hung herself because she was locked in. Seven asks... Um, says that you know, she's, she's been like this, uh, you know, seven, much longer than sh- than she was Annika. It was nice to be ordinary, you know, at least for a little bit. Rafi's like, that's impossible. It's like, no matter how, you know, whatever you come, Borg or human, you're the most extraordinary person I know. It's like, you know, and all her life you know, she's been running from, from this, the implants, she can't help but wonder how much more she'd be capable of if she just stopped. Um, Girardi says, it's time to go. Rafi looks at Seven, says, "They they can't let her do this. You know, whatever you know, she promised." He's like, "They can." Seven's like, "Whoever you are now, half of you is our friend. Maybe in time, all of you could be." And the Borg Queen's like, "In time, perhaps, but now a deal must be honored. A ship for a life is more than a fair exchange. And please inform your admiral: the future will have no need for a Borg slayer, at least not from us. And tell him this." The mission must be pus- must not be postponed. To succeed, there must be two Renes: one who lives and one who dies. And as she transports them out, As the ship lifts off. Rios runs up in time to watch it leave. Talon, and Picard see it too. Rios like she took my ship, and Seven says my ship. Rafi says that she like well, she gave it to the Queen to, and Girardi, in exchange for Seven's life, whatever. Um. And Picard and Talon walk up, and he asks of Seven, Seven if she's all right. And she's like, I'm myself. And, and she has like a smile. And Picard's like, Well, we have lost a friend, but we have regained ourselves. And we will need all ourselves if we are to succeed. Seven says, and Soong's still in the wind. Rio says that he's definitely not the quitting type. Talon says that her ship may have slipped through his fingers, but he'll find another means to stop the Europa mission and Renee. Seven says, or worse, Picard, before Agnes left, she had a message for you. In order to succeed, there must be two Rene's, one who lives and one who dies. And he's like, I refuse to accept an outcome that has not yet occurred. And he's like, come, we have work to do. And that is the end of season two. So basically, they're stuck in the past. They have no ship. They have no way back to the present. And I guess... Soon is like the big problem borg queen is off she's gonna go make nicer borgs and yeah so that's the end okay i guess we'll have to wait what like a year or so all right um so it was fine the the borg queen stuff was getting to be too much um soong i don't know uh yeah we'll have to see what happens and what, like what's up with q we haven't seen any of q in this episode and like what what is what yeah what was he doing now so, it it feels like there should be like another episode, but I guess not. It's like, okay, that's it. Okay, now The Man Who Fell to Earth. So, this is a Showtime show, and I'm I'm really kind of hesitant. I'm looking at the time now, and you know, we're approaching 3 hours, but also I'm looking at the fact that Star Trek is over, um and then it's like I think I think there's only maybe I'm not even sure how many more Superman and Lois yeah, you know, I think there's two more and you know there's only one more moon night. So it's like I wanna have shows to, to keep talking about. So this is gonna be a longer episode. All right. So with uh The Man Who Fell to Earth, now in the 70s I think it was nineteen seventy six, I could be wrong about that. There was a movie, The Man Who Fell to Earth, with David Bowie. Um I I'm trying to remember, I I feel like I may have watched it, but I'm not I I can't say a hundred percent if I have. So I might, after I record this long episode, I might watch it uh, and then it's to go with the show. Because the show c- kind of continues from the movie. There is reference to what happened 40 years ago or so. So I, I think that's kind of cool. Because at first I was like, is this just a reboot or whatever? But it's like, no. So there, there is that-, that connection there. And as far as this episode, I'm not really sure what's going on like where this show is going to go so it was it was a okay it was a good um first episode you know it didn't completely blow me away but i am curious so uh chit Wattel, i don't know i i'm sorry i don't know how to say his name I'm, i apologize for butchering it he's amazing here and you know he was in 12 years a slave he's just really you know really great performance and and so it's really intriguing um so I'm just going to go through full recap. So if you don't have showtime, you can listen and, you know, maybe you're might want to think about getting showtime. If, if, if this sounds interesting to you. So it starts off with a, so he's going by name Faraday or that, that's what he's listed as. So he's on stage and this is where, this is how it starts. And this is like, they released like the first five minutes or three minutes of the show. So that, that was like my first experience in watching this. And this is like that scene where he's like on this this stage, there's big screens behind him. And he's like, how did we get here to this place, to this moment? If we could see the cosmic shape of an eerie choice we've made, would it look like a straight timeline, a staircase, a Mobius strip? I came here because my choice was simple, live or die. And we see this ship come to earth and land, like kind of making a crater. I'm an immigrant, a refugee to survive. I had to be reborn. And we see him come out of this like gelatinous membrane thing. To evolve, I had to step into a new skin. And his body's like changing. Like Lazarus, I had to rise from the valley of the shadows to become something more. And people are like cheering and stomping. So we see him crawl out of the dirt. And then we see him like walking on the stage. So it's like, you know, things are just like changing everything. Which brings us to the reason we are here. You came to get the answer to the question the world's been asking. Who am I? He talks about um, what, like the internet is saying about him, like wacky stuff. They're calling him a tyrant, a king, a tech god, uh, a tech god Willy Wonker uh, He's like up to his gobstoppers and secrets. He's like, and all that is true. Well, the secret parts. He's like, so don't say I didn't warn you. He says when people talk about my work, they say it's revolution. But he goes to this box and takes out like the smaller box or whatever. He's like today. Um, Will drop the R instead of revolutions, evolution in this box. I hold the next step to the great timeline. But before I show you what's inside, I want to tell you my story the real one how I built this myself. It's simple because of all the things I left behind my home, my family. I had to rebuild everyone I lost, I had to learn how to become a human being. So then, loss alamos there's this auto repair garage uh faraday wakes up um he uh he's he's naked he's covered in some some goo he's it's like he's in shock or something like that he sees his hose by the garage and um he starts drinking the guy like in inside um the house like sees him and then the, the police arrive. There's, like, some girl, like, in the back seat. You know, like, you know, she got arrested for something. So they see him, like, standing naked by, by the hose. The, the guy inside is, like, he's holding a shotgun. And he yells at the, the cops, like, get him off my property. They yell at him to, like, stow his weapon and get inside. Then Faraday turns around and, like, the hose is in his mouth. So the cop comes up to him, like, pulls it, pulls it, pulls it, pulls it. There's, like, a lot of hose inside of him. And then they yell at him to get on his knees. And he's like, get on your knees. And then they, you know, they, they, he keeps repeating everything they're saying. Then they finally tase him and he doesn't really go down. Then he gets tased a second time. Then he goes down. He wakes up in a station. They put some clothes on him. He's like handcuffed to a chair and he's like listening to everything. This lady cop is asking uh, if he knows why he's there. And he stares at a guy by the water cooler. And he finally is like nine hour mission. And she's like, what mission is that? And he's like, 28.069 north, minus 9, or her phone vibrates. 5-3, and she shushes him. He hears what the dude on the phone is saying, and then he repeats it, mimicking the guy's voice. And she's like, a good rule around here is to mind your own business. She takes out like a water bottle and he's like, water. So she looks at him, so she hands it to him, and he like, chugs it like a champ. He's like, just drinks it all, and he like burps it. And she's like, where are you from? He's like, anthea and she's like where's that and he points up like at an angle and she's like oh yeah what's it like up there hot and where would you learn how to speak english now or she asks, like when, when'd you learn to speak?" English? she's like now and she's like well you know don't tell that story to anyone it's like they'll lock you up <laughs> and and you know you won't be able to complete your mission this other cop is like complaining to another and he then she's like, here on Earth, if you really want something, and say, uh, flip a lot, not flip, say the f word because the, the cop's swearing. She's like, it works. And he's like, flip water. And it scares her and everyone around her. And she says, on Earth, it helps to be polite. And he's like, please. And she asks his name, and he's like, K Faraday, because that's the name on her ID badge. And she asks if there's anyone that she can call for him, and he's like justin fall and then she's like who's he so this lady at this locker she has a kid necklace around her neck that says justin and um faraday's mission begins you were all my teachers but the one who forced me to understand my choices who forced me to find my humanity well we didn't choose each other so the lady starts putting on like this hazmat suit or something like that she has a picture of her holding like a girl in her locker Then he's like, she had already chosen to strike a devil's bargain with herself. If every dream she had to drop along the way was just retreated and left her alone, she promised never to aspire to anything more than to survive. So she's uh, like working out by some industrial plants or something like that, like scooping hazardous waste into plastic bags and like from the stream. And then she gets like paid cash. Then it's like, hope is too expensive And there's, like, this white dude by his pickup. So she gives him some money, and he gives her, like, drugs or something like that? It's like, okay. She's driving in a pickup truck while um, her daughter reads in the backseat. They go to visit her daughter. The drugs are for him. So she needs more money, so she um asked she's on you know she asked for more shift the guy is basically a a scumbag and he like whispers that what she can do for more shifts so she knees him in the crotch and she's like i'm done and she speeds away because the guy's like angry she's angry and frustrated she's like yelling then she gets a call from the police lady so she goes to the station she sees faraday and she's like i've never seen him before and the cops say that they couldn't id him no fingerprints he just doesn't have any and he's like, now he's like, he, you know, he stood up from the chair. He's like eager. The cop wants to release him to her, but she's like, I don't know him. And he's like, July 12th, United States Department of Energy interim report. This panel believes that Miss Falls present evidence for the achievement of fusion is not persuasive. In conclusion, however, that is not to say it is a failure. Text to audio. This is a demo. She's like scoffs at that. And he's like, not a failure. Your mission, my mission. And she's like, who are you? And he says that it's his belief that their ability to achieve fusion is only hampered by humanity's understanding of quantum computing. And she kind of stutters. She's like, that's my, uh, you're quoting my, and he's like, 2013, graduate thesis, Laboratory Network, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. She calls him a science stalker. And she like turns to leave. Then in a British accent, fine, Justin Falls. She was closer than anyone has ever come to achieving fusion she was simply missing something she didn't know existed. So she asked him, and she's like, how could you possibly know that? it's like, who said that? Uh, and then he's like, find her. She is integral to the mission and to the next step. You cannot take it alone. And she's like, what mission? 28.069169 degrees north minus 95.047623 degrees west, 7.8 hours. Cannot take it alone, please. She tells him that if he comes anywhere near her or her family, she will shoot him. Then she leaves. So the lady says like, I don't know what's going on. And she's going to release him with a summons. But if she hears that he's bothering her, then he'll hear from her. So he leaves and he picks up the cop's phone off her desk. The cop, um, then, you know, she didn't see this, but she noticed one of the, the cuffs like all twisted. So somehow he must, does he have super strength? He was able to break the, the handcuff faraday's walking outside he looks up an address for like a pawn shop and then he like spits up a gold ring and then a t- ton of gold rings start like barfing out of his mouth so he goes into the pawn shop and he's like he's like 598 grams 18 karat gold the lady says she's like looking at them all she's like well i have to test him he starts looking at other like electronic stuff and like taking them apart whatever he like she takes this ring thing she's like you're buying that then he, he starts putting like things together and he sees like a jukebox and she's like, oh, you know, 823 is my favorite or something like that. And then he's like, you're surprised. I think it's a song like, oh girl or something like that. He's like surprised by the music. Listen to it. She lights up a cigarette and he's like, it, he catches a whiff of it. And like, it's like disgusting. And he's like, free on or whatever. And then she's like, okay, did the gold fall off a truck? And he mimics what the lady cop says. A good rule around here is to mind your own business. So she says that she's like, I'll give you 10 grand for all of it. And he whispers 25,000 current market value. So then she's like 12.5 and he's like 25, six. And she cuts him off saying, she's like, you're not going to get that. And he yells using the F word that the cop taught him flip money now. And then he walks out with the detector thing that he built and like, you know, headphones that he's wearing and like money is just like, like flying like out of his pockets because he's just not organized, I guess. Um, He's walking down the street, like this big truck honks at him as he's driving around. So he's like walking through like the desert, whatever money's flying. And then this SUV sees him, turns around, uh, you know, when it sees him. So he's looking up and he sees like some strange alien structure, like going up in the sky. So it must be like a flashback or something like that. And cause he has like the space suit on and he's like smiling. And then the guys like walk up behind him. He sees one of the structures like starts to get destroyed or something like that and starts falling. And then one dude like punches him in the like side of the face. He falls to the ground. They hit him again and again. They start taking his money. Justin, so it's weird her name is Justin, not Justine. I guess her name is Justin. She's driving and in like a 50 hits her windshield and she's like, what? And then she sees the two dudes beating Faraday up on the side of the road and faraday kind of looks up and they make eye contact so she drives by and she's like she's like no 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 she's like it just isn't none of my business so then she finally she slams on the brakes, turns around reaches in her glove box there's a gun in there she takes it out gets out of her truck shoots it in the air tells them to get the flip out of there this gust of wind kind of like catches her off balance so then they grab her she smacks one in the head with the gun Um, the other gets grabs her from behind and she like drops a gun Faraday staggers up and picks up the gun he like shoots it once not really knowing what it is and he shoots it again and again the other guys they 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 start to leave so then she she's on the ground she thinks that he's going to shoot her she's like no I have a kid and he like drops the gun and she she's like she's like your finger is broken and he like just kind of looks at him he looks like kind of bends it back in place he picks up his scanner and and says like they wanted money so she sees the money, she's, and he, he's like, you want money? And she's like, you don't know what I want? I want one person on this planet to say thank you. So he's like, thank you? And she's like, you're welcome. And she asks about his device. She's like, what is it? And he's like, broken. And he's like, six hours, 58 minutes, 14 seconds, intercept. She's like, intercept what? Message. What message? He pauses, take me. And she's like, no, no. She's like, I didn't stop. And then he swears again. And she yells back, don't yell at me you mother flipper it's like who told you yelling at people was a good idea lady well not this lady and he repeats what he says and he's like money and she says that she can't take the money off from someone who might be delusional and he says that the coordinates must complete mission and she tells him to stop and he's like message please so she takes her phone out and he repeats the coordinates and it's like shiprock. And she's like, that's like 200 miles away. She's like, that's too far. She's like, I can't leave my family for that long. He's like, six hours, 57 minutes, three seconds, message, money, please. She asks if there's a nice doctor that she can call to say that he's not a serial killer. And he's like, he thinks, he's like, no. Then she's like, why don't you just shoot me and take my truck? He's like, you are necessary. So she takes a little of the money from his hand and then inside she's like, her he he's like, where's the fluid sack and she's like what he's like i travel in a fluid sack so whatever then they start driving later she asks him his name and he's like Kay faraday so she's like F- faraday so then she tells him to stop you know he's like messing with the radio. She says, stop playing with the radio stop messing with it then he's like um you stopped why did you stop work he's like did the plasma disruptions become too substantial he starts saying that if if she miscalculates the stored energy of the plasma and she's like i didn't miscalculate she's like i got it wrong she's like nothing on earth can sustain that much energy and he's like nothing on earth and she's like she's, she's like i'm not going to engage with you on this and she's like you go ahead and you know play with the radio if you just stop talking so then he puts his head down and it's like he's sleeping right away so she's like what so she calls her dad and she's like i can i can pay marcus in cash And he's like, my hands hurt. She's like, I need my medicine. Then we see a flashback to like these aliens with like kind of cat eyes, and then Faraday wakes up in a truck. And she's like, you know, she's not in there. She's like outside. She's getting putting gas in. He's like, why did we stop? And then you know, she's like getting gas. He sees a cooler, so he like opens it. There's like a bunch of like there's some like water bottles or whatever in there, but there's like a bunch of like water from like the ice melted. And he like looks at it, he sticks his head in there and mechanic you know there's a mechanic working and there he's like is your your friend committing suicide and she's like well, i don't know whatever." you, you know she, she she's like if he does okay whatever then we see you know he has money in his hand because the guy's like hey stop that so he bought the whole c- cooler and he crosses the street there's like a like right off the side of the road there's like this little like a gate like fence thing and there's a, a couple horses in a stall thing and he like, he's, like, mesmerized by the horse, and there's a guy, like, cleaning, like, the hooves or the, the, the shoes, and he's, like, oh, he's, like, you know, move away. He's, like, she's skittish, and, um, you know, so she's skittish, she might kick me or whatever, and he's, like, where I am from, she was a predator. And then, uh, so Justin comes out, and she sees, so she goes over, she's, like, what's going on? And then the, the guy's talking about how they get the, they let the horses loose and they shoot them with paintball guns, like for target practice or whatever. And he's like, no paintball. He's like, that is not what she is for. And then he just like walks back to the truck. And she's walking with him. She's like, what is she for? And he's like, soon she will remember. Remember what? She can kick that boy to death. And she's just like, looking at him. She's like, what? More driving. She says that she needs to make a stop. And he's like, we have three hours. She's like, we can make it. She sa- says that he fell asleep before mid sentence, and he's like, I wasn't sleeping, just resting my eyes. And she's like, men always say that. Then he repeats and mimics her father talking about his hand aching and needing the pills. I guess showing that the, that you know, her, her dad was saying like something else, and he's a man. And she's like, she slams on the brakes, and she's like, did you just mock my father? And she's like, how did you hear that? You were sleeping. And she's like, you you apologize. She's like, I don't care about the money. She's like, I'll lock the doors and we'll just sit here until we die. And then he starts counting down the time or whatever. And she's just like, gets out in frustration. And then she comes back. She's like, my dad is dying. She's like, we lost our coverage. He needs his pills. She's like, That's why we're stopping. And he's like, my window is shrinking. shrinking. And she says that, that, she's like, this is my mission. And he's like, you know, you can either fight, find another ride or, or come with me. So you go in his diner he and uh, she tells him wait wait in the truck but he follows her in there even though she told him to wait so they sit at the counter he takes a you know gets a glass or a cup of water he like chugs it and then he just drops the cup on the floor and everyone like looks there's also a couple officers sitting in the booth so it's like okay this isn't gonna be good then uh she's she tells him can you just be less you know whatever waitress comes up and he just grabs a, the pen out of her hand justin apology, she's like i'm sorry he's on the spectrum whatever and he's like writing all the stuff he's like what is the spectrum and she's like it means that uh you have different social and communication skills that you can't connect he drinks another cup of water he's about to drop it and she's like Mm-mm. so then he like slowly puts it on the counter and he like continues writing you believe you are connected but you are not you exist only within yourself and she's like well what makes you so different i am different because you are wasting my time i am not wasting your time when will Josiah Falls die? And she's like, kind of like put off by that. But she's like, uh, you know, she doesn't really like it, but she orders two chocolate donuts. So then the Faraday, she says that her dad used to do math to calm himself. So like, is that what he's doing? He puts the pen down. Um, he answered a napkin. And then she's kind of like shocked. There's like symbols and, you know, variables, whatever. And she's like, this is, this is base 60. It's a third millennium number system. She's like, what are you? I mean, are you an ancient Sumerian? I mean, why do you understand the value of base 60? And he says, my adept. And she asks, she's like, do you mean your teacher? Does he have a name? And he's like, here, he is called Thomas Jerome Newton. So she grabs her phone. She starts looking him up. And so she sees that he was the founder of World Enterprises. So this is basically David Bowie's character from the movie. She says, she's like, yeah, I heard about it. It was a tech company like 40 years ago. He is the one who sent me to you, and she's like, y- y- th- you know this man, you you know this man. She's like, why would he do that? Your work, you are vital to the mission. Where I am from, there are two chambers: adepts and drones. One designs and one executes. She's like, where are you? Where exactly are you from? You used to produce more. Your work now, what purpose does it serve? Then um, that Marcus dude comes in. I'm assuming because this white dude comes in. And she says, you know, it serves her purpose. She said he says that she's not utilizing her purpose. Um, Two cops get up right when she's about to do a drug deal. She like walks to the payphone, like sort of like next to to Marcus. You know, she picks up the phone. She hands him the money, and he hands her like you know white packet or whatever like that. And Faraday, um, he he comes up to her too, and he's like, "You chose your task, but did not." And she says that, or he says, you know, have the tools. And she tells him, she's like, go sit down. And then he says to the drug deal, drug drug dude, he's like, go away now. And he's like, the flip you say to me? And he's like, I require her focus and my window of interception is shrinking. So she pulls him away and they start walking out. He's like, You are vital to the mission. The cops are at the counter, probably like paying her bill, whatever. They one kind of like looks at them or whatever, and then but they, they walk out. So they're driving. And then the cops are following behind, so it's like, oh crap, here we go. She starts panicking because like the gun is sitting like in her the door pocket thing. It's just probably pretty visible, and uh, then the sirens turn on. So and there's really nowhere for her to pull over because the road's kind of like slopes off. Then like, the cop car pulls alongside her, and then passes. Huge sigh of relief. Then she's like, you know what? She's like, I don't want this no more. And she, I, she hands him the rest of the money. I don't know if she handed him the gun or it was just the money. And he's like. The mission is your mission and she's like what happened to you you're brilliant how'd you get here the adept miscalculated energy energy for what the energy we needed to save ourselves and she's like it, she asks if anyone died he's like yes and she asks do you have anyone besides this Newton guy and he's like yes because you know she's like a wife you know children and she's like how many children two they are waiting for me to return if they survived survived what He looks up, when the clouds disappear, you all disappear. You have very little time left. So then they've arrived at the place. He gets out and she's like, it doesn't feel right. And he's like, you are afraid. I can smell it. And she's like, because there's just kind of like out in the desert. There's like some like dirt roads, but there's really nothing around. And she's like, there are bad people out here. Like the guys who jumped you. And she's like, can I take you to motel? She's like, it gets cold here at night. I will not be here for the cold and she's like, please, she's like, can I, can I take you someplace safe? I am where I am supposed to be. You are where you are supposed to be. For what? To ensure the survival of my species. And she's like, which species? I am from Anthea, a terrestrial planet on the border of the solar system. I am here to receive the next step of my instructions. You are meant to come with me. So she kind of chuckles. She's like, i brought you here and that's as much as i'm gonna do she's like i'm not going anywhere with you she's like we're done no more waiting she gets in the truck he's like come with me and he starts like pulling it like pulling the handle like he starts like ripping it off she grabs a gun and she points at him she's like stop and she's just stop and she leaves and then he just like walks starts walking down the road like into the desert she's driving he's walking and then there's, like, dark clouds that are starting to heading there. She sees this, the storm coming as she's driving down the road, like, just really black clouds. And, and she's just, like, she doesn't know what to do. She curses, and she turns around. He's still walking. So then she gets to where, you know, she dropped him off. She's driving down a dirt road. And I'm just, like, close your window. Because now it's, like, super windy and everything like that. She's still got the, the, the windows down. Uh, she starts, like, honking at him. And he keeps walking and he's like, this is just disappearing. You know, you can see like, like a, like tornado starting and everything like that. He's just like, starts walking into the swirl of like smoke and dust and everything like that. And then, then the truck starts spinning. She gets like, knocked down. She's like, like on, on the, the floor and he's able somehow to walk like right into the center. He looks up and you see a circle and there's like lights and he just like, closes his eyes. And a man's like, open your eyes. And then he has, like, alien the alien cat eyes or whatever. And he's in this, like, lush forest. This man comes up to him, has, like, a hat and glasses, a suit and a cane. It's about flipping time. And it's Bill Nye. Bill Nye, he's, he's great. And he takes a drink from a bottle. He's like, I know exactly what you're thinking. He's like, this is not the Anthea I remember. Well, soon enough, you will be the Anthea you remember either. But I'm going to make you the God they can't ignore. And he, like, laughs. And then we see Faraday back at the beginning. He's about to go on stage. How did we get here to this place in this box? I hold the next step, blah, blah, blah. Secrets. It's all true. The secrets part. Anyways, don't say I didn't warn you. And that's where it ends. So it's just like, oh, okay. Where is this going? What is happening? And um, I'm really not sure. So yeah, like I said, I am kind of tempted to watch the movie just to see like what is what was David. I I watch the trailer again and it's a uh, because it, it, you can you can buy it or rent it like on Amazon, and uh, it's it's just it's not even HD. It's standard because like the the Blu-rays are like you can't buy them. They're like not. I mean you can. They're super expensive because they're like out of print or whatever. So I have to decide if I want to get the standard version that's uh, pretty, pretty seventies style. But and I don't know if because it, it's like, is it a love story? Like, what is this? We'll see. So I may continue with this, like I said, just because some other shows are dropping down. So hopefully this is interesting. Let me know. Yeah. So we'll we'll see. Okay. And then now, uh, made for love. So I really enjoyed the, the first season. And I kind of briefly talked about it, about the show when it came on, because I, I came onto to the show late and I, it's like, I didn't even realize it was there. So it's it's a half hour show. I really like the half hour shows, even though I, I love like Moonlight, Moonlight moon is like mostly like 50 minutes or whatever, you know, close to an hour. It's great when you have that, but there's something about the half hour shows. It, it's just they, just, they just, they just like go faster, you know, like that. And, uh, you know, like Russian Dow, you know, just, I was able to watch the whole thing and it's just, it like, it doesn't waste time. And it just, like, it gets down to the business. So there's no filler. Not in saying that, like, Moon Knight or the other shows have, have filler. But it just, there's no time to waste. So you have to tell the story. So Made for Love is, is it's pretty much, a, it's like a dark comedy. Basically, the, the first um, season. So Kristen Miliati, who was the mother in How I Met Your Mother. She was also in Palm Springs. She is brilliant. She's amazing. She's a great singer. Um, she's a great actress. She's just hilarious. She's great delivery. I feel like she's super like underrated. She, and basically, in the first first season, what happens is she meets this uh, rich this guy Byron Gogol, uh, and uh, he basically whisks her off her feet. He lives in this compound where it's like future. You know, he has these cubes. And you can change the environment where it's like looks like it's like you want to go to Italy, you want to go to a volcano, you want to go wherever you want to. go. It's like you're there. It looks like you're complete immersed in some other place. And so you know he he has all this tech stuff like phones and electronics, and just, he's just involved with everything. He has this like dolphins. Like what are they doing experimenting on dolphins? There's a weird dolphin subplot in the book that has nothing to do with this. Thank goodness. So there's also so basically his what he wanted to do is put a chip and and this is for like couples put a chip in each other's in, in your and both your minds your your brains and then you can sync your minds and become one you know you're so in love so you be together he ended up injecting the chip in her he like had her drug you know she's at the pool um you know he's swimming or something like that she's you know takes a drink and then she gets like knocked out they performed a surgery right there boom zoom 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 so she's got the chip in her head, she doesn't realize it and then she manages to escape the compound cuz she was like about to kill herself cuz she just like couldn't you know, she's like trapped there. And I think they're married for like 10 years or something like that. And then she makes her way out and then she realizes that the chip is in her head and this whole thing whatever. First season ends where she finds out her dad is dying from cancer and he's like I can cure your dad, but you have to come back. So then that's kind of where this picks up. But also, you know, like her dad can't know because he won't want to help. So he lives like in a, in a trailer and they basically, they're going to take the whole, they're going to recreate everything. I think they actually like airlift the, the, the trailer out of there and everything. Oh, and her dad uh, is kind of married or involved with like a, a sex doll that, that he, he, he bought. So with uh, season two, episode one, I Have a Rotting Finger, we see uh, Hazel and her dad... Herbert they're at the pool and then they go inside the house it's like wait I thought he wasn't supposed to know anything and she asks if he's sure that he's not mad that she brought him to the hub the hub is what Byron calls this place and he's like oh, he's like, that's an interesting way to put it he's like you drugged and this is Ray Romano he's like you drugged me kidnapped me put me in a replica of my house took you know away my everyday reality he's like I'm kidding he's like how can I be mad you saved my life and she's like, well, I, I couldn't lose you. And then they hug, which is so it's weird how they're just like, it's like, they're getting along. This is great. But then um, she's like, but there's one more thing. So they go into like the bedroom. Byron's lying on a the floor. There's like a pool of blood by his head. And there's like a bloody golf club like lying on him. And the dad's kind of shocked. And she's like, I, I didn't plan it. It just, it just happened. And dad's like, this is a pickle. And she starts mentioning like disposing the body and then Byron's like, (gasps) he like kind of gasps and like moves a little bit. So they both like scream and sort of like back (laughs) the room, like to the doorway. Then they go back in. Um, Herbert like picks up the golf club and then he like hands it to Hazel and he's like, finish the job. So she thinks back to like, you know, everything, whatever. And then he's like, he's like, Hazel, he like says her name and she swings down the, the golf club and it cuts to like the opening, like the intro. So it's like, What? But then we see Hazel sitting like daydreaming and someone like pokes her awake and it's Byron. So she was dreaming that she killed him. And he's like, oh, you know, what were you thinking? What were you daydreaming about? And she's like, oh, I was thinking about golf. Then um, Dr. Howe, H-A-U, comes in. So he says that she'll be overseeing her dad's treatment. And Hazel's like, how do you, how are you planning on treating my dad's cancer without him knowing? She starts to answer and Byron cuts her off. He's like, well, that's the magic of the hub. And Hazel's like, I was asking a doctor. So she's the doctor says that they've developed a process. The painkiller that he takes every mornings have been replaced with a fast acting sedative. So then we see him like drink his coffee at breakfast, and then he's out like within a minute. And once he's unconscious, Bennett will alert the medical team. The team will get Herbert and transport him next door to a state-of-the-art medical cube. So it's a medical facility treatment center all in one and we see him like in this super like fancy medical room and then uh when the session is finished they'll return herbert and then they'll reset the time in the cube along with like the, the fake sun you know because there's like no sky or whatever and we like we see Bennett like changing a clock but he's like staring at diane so there's like something with it. i don't know if he's like getting an attraction to diane i don't know the, the, the sex doll, his girlfriend, whatever. Then Herbert wakes up and he thinks he's just like drifted off for like a moment. Cause he, you know, he was looking at, he looked at the clock like right before. So he thinks it's still 930. Byron says that he also got her a gift. So he took her, her high school, old high school watch from her bedroom and had it retrofitted. So it syncs up with the clocks in there. So she ever needs to know what time Herbert thinks it is. It's right there. And he's like, and you can also push a button and see what the real time is. So Hazel, she doesn't say a word, she just takes the watch and she puts it on. And then she asks Dr. Howe, how did he explain the side effects to him? Because her with her mom's chemo, Byron cuts her off and says, Oh, chemo is like that's medieval times. Where and Dr. Howe says that they're decades ahead of you know the FDA with you know gene editing and cell therapy and molecular vaccines in combination with nanosurgery. So it's like the only side effects that he might get is from the sedatives. So it's like it can be some mild grogginess so hazel asked byron she's like you just happen to be working on a cure for cancer um by a product of research i guess and she asked dr how she's like how long she you know she points to byron and he you know, says that he's using the cure to hold her hostage so she just wants to know how long she has to keep up with this charade and byron says uh, he's like 12 weeks and how's like that's the initial estimate for remission and hazel's like okay she's like i can do 12 weeks and she tells Byron that the second he's better, they're leaving. And he's like, her dad's cancer is the only reason she's there. And he's like, I know. And he's like, can you give me 12 weeks to try and fix this? How gets up to, like, leave them alone. But ha- Hazel says, she's like, I actually have a question. She's like, when can I get this flipping chip out of my head? And she's like, um, she's like, well, technically, we can take it out right now. And Byron's like, yeah. He's like, that's a great idea, actually. He's like, you know, we can both get ours taken out. And Hazel's like, "Surprised?" She's like, you have a chip, too? And he's like, yeah, I had Bennett help me put one in, but I never activated it. And he thought that, you know, that's what she would have wanted. So, because yeah, that was the whole thing. I wondered in the first season because they're like, if you do it, it could kill her. And he's like, well, that's a, whatever. So I guess he never activated. He's like, I thought that's what you wanted. And she like shakes her head and sarcastically, sarcastically, he's like, husband of the year. And he's like, thanks. So Herbert wakes up from his face falling his breakfast and he looks at the clock. know, still nine thirty. Takes a drink of tap water and he's like wait, why, why does this taste delicious? Because it's like, you know, fancy water. Then we see some FBI dudes like having a debriefing meeting. You know, there's like all these agents there. And he talks about like, three world-renowned scientists and three non-Gogol worker bees have died this year. Sudden accidental deaths in the prime of their lives. And he says that they believe that those people are alive and working in the hub. So they want to put Hazel's Bowling Alley co-worker dude, Jay, that this dude that she met undercover in Gogol, so they have Gogol on insurance fraud uh labor conspiracy false imprisonment who knows what else and he's like the timing couldn't be better because jay has hazel teed up to be an informant and jay's like uh I like i spent two days with her he's like i didn't lay down any groundwork and they say that he's like well you know everyone wants to get with you he's like you have a gift you know because he's supposed to be so good looking whatever and jay's like Well, no one knows where the hub is. You know, there's, there's no way in or out. He's like, I don't even know what the plan of extraction is here. Then he's like, he's like, oh, okay, fine. He's like, I've done worse. And a dude's like, okay, and you have a new name. It's Jasper. So Hazel and Byron, they lay in the medical chairs, hold still. The machine arm moves into their head and it's done just like that. She's like, that's it. She's like, after everything I went through, it's out. And Byron's like, "Mm mm-hmm. And she gets up and she looks at the the two chips were placed on this like table thing, like between them. And she's like, what's going to happen with them? She's like, they're going to be destroyed, right? And Dr. Howe's like, they'll be incinerated. Then as they move towards him, she picks them both up and swallows them. And she goes to leave, but she can't open a door that's like hidden in the wall. And Byron's like, you need a, a finger sensor chip. He's like, uh, Dr. Howe can insert one now. And she's like, you must really think I'm stupid. It's like, I'm not le- letting you put another chip in my body. And Howe's like, you mean besides the two you just swallowed? It? Then she's like, because she's like, the finger sensor is really the only way around the hub and byron's like oh i might have a workaround so that other guy um herringbone from last season he came to him to like beg for his job back byron said no but he gave him his middle finger as a parting gift so he goes to like this like hidden fridge and he pulls out a bag with like a severed finger and he hands it to hazel and she looks at it and then she holds it as if she's like flipping him off and she leaves so it turns out uh but w- when they they put the chips down i guess they copied the chips so dr howe says that they're downloading hazel's consciousness into this like dedicated network for some reason herbert he, his truck won't start he tells diane the truck's dead he calls the the auto repair place but bennett answers phone acts like he's a receptionist says that you know they'll send someone out to be like a week or something like that and he's like what hazel comes in she puts a severed finger in a towel and, like sticks it in the the freezer then we see Jasper. He goes someplace to get interviewed. They strap him to this chair and put like a sensor in his finger. Then like the first question is like, you know, what do you think happens when you die? So this is supposed to be like a Google interview or something like that. Um, Herbert calls Hazel to the bathroom and he wants to show her something in the toilet, and she's like, "What?" Ugh. And she's like, "Oh no, nothing gross." He flushes and says like, "It's world faster" or something like that. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I tinkered with that last night. And he's like, I guess I must fix it. And he's like, wait, you did this? He's like, you're wasting your time at the bowling alley. He's like, you know, you should look into plumbing for a job or something like that. Dr. Howe's looking at the chip data and then um, uh, chuckles. She's like, oh, how romantic or whatever. Because it forms like these two. There's like these two digital versions of them or something like that that we see later. The interview's still going on. It seems like it's, it's going well. He's given like a non disclosure agreement and the end of life contract. And he's like, what? So then the guy's like, you know, he'll be the first to migrate to Gogol's virtual biosphere, but in exchange for immortality, your former identity must cease to exist. So I'm not really quite sure what that meant. Hazel fell asleep on the couch when she looks at the 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 time. Her dad thinks it's 2.12 a.m. She goes to the freezer, takes out the finger. She goes outside, looks at the door, um, walks on this hall. There's like a bunch of people walking around. Like you hear one whispers like, she's not supposed to be out here. And like some people have like hazmat suits, they come out of this room. and She tries accessing the screen, but it's like access denied. People are like ignoring her and stuff like that. So she starts getting loud, and Byron comes in, and then they all like say hi to him and stuff like that. So she tells them to tell them that she's allowed to be down there They can talk to her like she's a regular person. So he starts talking through his watch over to intercom saying that as of today, my brilliant wife has taken a more active role at Google. And he authorizes all workers to talk to her, interact with her, even show her what you're working on. So she has a keys to the kingdom. And he's like, and she's like, no, I have a rotting finger. So then he says that he's glad that she's down there. He wants to show her something. They go through his door and it's like his childhood roof, just kind of like floating in the stars. So when he built the hub, he built this place to remind him where he came from. So this place has no cameras uh, or the hub has cameras everywhere except for this this place. No one knows about it. It's a sanctuary. And she's like, well, why'd you bring me here? And he's like, because I'm giving it to you. I want you to feel safe. So I want you to have a place that's only yours. Hazel wakes her dad up in the morning. She made him breakfast and he th- thinks that she wants something. And she's like, "Oh, well, can I just do something nice for my dad and my uh, uh, stepmom? And he's like, no, he's like, you want something or you broke something. And then he thinks about the truck. He's like, did you do that? Whatever. And then uh, the, you see the data from the hard drive. The two minds start interacting. So it's all white. And it's like they're they're naked, but they have no like d- specific details, whatever. And she's like, hi, Byron. So I, do, I don't understand that. Episode two, because I know this is a super long episode. This show is super long. The podcast is super long. So episode two is we're losing time hazel and herbert are this is why shows shouldn't drop more than one episode because it makes it too long herbert and hazel are sitting on a couch he takes some pills and and she's like watching out of sight of her eyes he takes a drink he's out medical team comes in we get this music montage byron sees that you know the, the kitchen is a mess he sees dirty socks on the counter he flicks them off and he's like she's like making his life difficult because he likes everything like nice and neat and everything all, all that and then uh like Hazel eats a slice of pizza and she smears it across the windows then we see Jasper lying in a cot in the interview room and he's like really bored dude finally comes in he he says that he's been there for seven days and he's the first candidate not to ask when he'd be released so he's like congratulations you're in um, the other dude opens a box with this yellow pill and they say that they can't divulge the location of the hub to the workers so he has to take this pill it's going to knock him out Herbert tells Hazel that he keeps dozing often you know for just minutes and you have passed but inside he feels like hours have passed so he has some old clock this like atomic clock that he pulled out in the first episode and you know he says that he's been doing the math he's like there's no easy way to say this he's like we're losing time then she asked diane is, is like oh or you know is diane losing time too and he mentioned things like the great water, the truck not working, her annoying friend Bangles not coming around. Then he found proof, so he shows her the military clock, watch that he has. He's like, "It's never wrong. The clock says it's 8:01, but the watch says it's 11:42 p.m." So she opens the door uh, because you know she's going, going, you know, going to work, and she's like, "Oh, do you think the sun is broken?" And and not the watch that you've had for 50 years. And she's like, "Are, are you feeling okay?" And he's like, "Yeah." And then she's like, you know, you're not young anymore. And he then he shows her that he changed his will. So he didn't think that she'd need the place. But now that she's desperate again, she's like, you know, are, are you trying to tell me something? And he's like, she's like, are you sick? He pauses and he's like, no. Because he does, doesn't does want her to know that he has he's dying of cancer. Hazel's sitting by the pool in her work uniform. This dude, Bruce, comes up. And she hands him her phone and says that she needs him to go see her friend Bangles, show her the video, and bring her there. So her dad is getting suspicious. So someone from the town dropping by the house would be pretty helpful. And she's like, before you say anything, I'm allowed to do this so you don't have to check with Byron. And she starts trying to talk to this guy checking the water, you know, of the pool. She says that, you know, she's seen him around for years and he's never talked to her. And he's like, oh, I didn't want to bother you. And she thinks that it was her husband telling him not to talk to her. And then he comes out and says that, you know, they're doing orientation for new employees. And he thinks that she should come. She's like, okay. He's like, do you want to get changed? And she's like, nope. And he's like, uh, yeah, yeah, you great. You, you look good. So in uh, the computer world, Hazel's now wearing a white dress. And Byron's like, oh, you look really nice. So he's still kind of naked or whatever. And she's like, thank you. I made these myself. And she's like, I made you some too, but there's like a barrier. So she's like, she doesn't know how to give them to him. And he and he's like, you make the clothes, I can make a door. And with his fingers, he kind of like traces a door. And he's like, I want to make a whole world for you. So Jasper is like sleeping in a bed. He wakes up and he's like, who changed my clothes? He looks out the window. There's like this gorgeous landscape by a river. The lights turn on. There's this holo virtual assistant and it's Paula Abdul. One of his interview questions was like, who was your high school crush? So um, she's like talking to him or whatever like that. He looks in the mirror and sees his beard has been shaved. He just has like a little mustache. And Paula says, fresh shave for a fresh start. Bennett talks to the new recruits, uh, welcomes him to go-go. Gamley, because they don't say family, they say Gamley. Um, he shows him this welcome video with Byron. He's talks about like the living for everything. That's not a dream, it's a reality. Then the video screen slides and there's a door and Byron is really right there. So it wasn't a video, ha ha hazel's like standing off to the side of the room that he was in he introduces her and he tries uh taking her hand but she kind of like slaps it (laughs) she sees jasper and he kind of like acknowledges her because she recognizes him from the bowling alley after byron tells her that that was great and she stops and and says that you know she she thinks that she left her sunglasses in there and she makes her way to jasper and she asks if they can meet later and he's like he has a break at seven Bangles is at a laundromat and she's talking to this one dude last night. I forgot whatever. Cause he, he, he told he was really interested in Herbert's sex doll and you know, like how much it costs and all this stuff like that. So he was the one that, that he owns a plane that used to be Herbert's. So he has a uh, doll too, but it doesn't have arms or legs. So Bangles wants to know why the doll looks like her. She's like, it could be my twin, except it has no arms or legs. And he's like, well, you know, it's, i'm on a layaway plan you know for the non-essential parts and so he's like he's like he stays up a little more he can get like a a left arm or something like that so the one dude comes up to her with hazel's phone and then you know she's like how do i know it's not fake like you know deep fake whatever technology she says she you know she watches like i'm too high to go the video says that if she does uh hazel says she'll wire a hundred thousand dollars into her account so so then there's like some pills she has to take, and the other dude's like, "I'll go, I'll go." He takes one, he's like out, and then you know she takes a pill or two her. whatever. Byron and Bennett are making plans for dinner date because he asked her before if they can have dinner, and she's like, "Okay." Um, he's starting to get a little misty, wondering, and you know, he's like, "What if you know she doesn't even care?" Hazel is by bangles when she wakes up from the sleeping pill. She's like in the medical room. Herbert is having a drink with Diane. He goes to get another one, looks in the freezer for ice. He finds a finger, and he like he screams. Hazel and Bangles arrive and she's nervous. You know, the door's locked, and she goes in, she shoves a get the finger back in the freezer. Hazel says, Bangles there to borrow uh and Bagel's like, a ladder. And they're like, What do you need a ladder for? She's like, My cat's in my sucking a tree. So then he goes to get it, and then Hazel grabs the finger from, from the freezer. Oh, so I what I said before, so Herbert shoved the finger back in the freezer when they came. So they they knock. they're at the door, the door's locked. Okay, I was like, wait, what did I say? And then um, so they leave and they're carrying the ladder. He goes to the freezer. The finger's not there now, so he thinks he's losing it. Bangles uh, sees the the pool, so they go in the other part and she wants she's like, oh, I've always wanted to go in an in-ground pool. So and then she ends up pulling Hazel in. Byron comes out. Uh, you know, Hazel forgot about the dinner. Like the, the, there's like a picnic dinner with candles, stuff like that. So Bengals stays and she starts eating. Byron goes to get more wine, and Hazel asks, basically asks Bengals to interrogate him to see if he's lying, whatever. So she says that she'll be right back. She goes to meet with Jasper, and then she uh, takes him to Byron's sanctuary so they can talk. And she asks him, like, who is he? And he, he doesn't say anything. And she's like, there's no surveillance in there. And he's like, according to who? And she's like, Byron. And he's like, you trust that? Well, she's like, well, apparently I can't trust anyone. Jay. And then she asks if he's Byron's spy. And he's like, no. He's like, I'm FBI. He's like, my name's Jasper. So Byron goes in the house to talk to Bennett. And he's like, he asks where Hazel is. So facial recognition isn't picking her up anywhere. So he, and he's like, I know where she is. So he tells Bennett to take care of Bengals. And um, so Bennett's out there. He's a little nervous and awkward and everything like that. And then he offers her drugs. And then she's like, yeah. And she takes one and she gets knocked out right away. So Jasper says that they've all signed end-of-life agreements, so if they're alive and trapped, no one would know about this. He mentions uh, Herringbone was last seen with Byron, so they believe that he's in there too. The FBI haven't been able to track him. And she's like, why are you telling me this? And he's like, because I believe you want to take him down just as bad as I do. And he's like, I need to find the people that we're looking for. So he's like, does the name Oxwimmer sound familiar or Pia ag agar wall or something like that and she's like i don't really know anyone there and she's like today was a my first day you know talking to people and he says that um he also needs her to exit the hub byron is headed to the sanctuary so he's at the keypad and he pauses and because you know he said he wouldn't enter so he starts walking away and then she opens the door and she like gasps jasper ducks to the side and then he byron turns around and you know she says that she thought that it was her sanctuaries and he's like it is he's like i'm sorry and he, he's like you know he's like i like, just come back when you're ready so bennett is with um bangle bangles like pass out in the medical room and her purse falls over and um, he starts picking up the stuff that spilled out and he sees that she took herbert's pills because when she was over she just started taking she's like oh drugs i'm gonna take these drugs never mind the fact that he probably needs them so he sees that uh herbert's pills are are there and so he rushes over to the house to put them back so he sneaks in it's like the middle of night whatever he sees sneaks in puts him on the counter like in the right spot sneaks out but herbert is awake he opens the door and he like looks at him and he sees bennett exit through like a door in like the side of the scenery like an invisible door that doesn't really appear to be there so now he knows something's up or he thinks he's really crazy and then they, they show, like, a, a preview for, like, the next season. And, oh, my gosh, they show so much. I don't even want to talk about that. But we'll, we'll talk about the show next week. So I don't know if that was too long. I feel like this this show is too long. But um, I, I dig the show. So I'm not going to say much more about it. I'll talk more about it next week. Okay, and now, finally, the main feature is the Northman, And, um, oh, man, I... I I don't really know what to say about this. So it it's got good reviews. I think it's like at a, I think it's like at eighty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a it's a, it's a, so it's Robert Eggers uh, wrote co wrote it and directed it. It uh, has a great cat. Alexander Skarsgard. He's he's really good. Um, Ethan Hawke, uh, Anya Taylor Joy. She's she's amazing, of course. Willem Dafoe's in it. Um, Nicole Kidman's in it. Uh, just the, the whole production, really great production. This Just the scenery, the action, the costume designs, music, all this stuff. So it's really good. But I, I wasn't super crazy about the movie. And what I think, I think one of the things I think is because it's a period piece. And I don't know what it is, you know, because it's like the same thing with like when watching like classic Doctor Who. Whenever the Doctor would travel to like the past... I was always kind of like, eh, okay, but if it's like present or future, you know, it's space. I was like, okay, this is cool. So maybe it's just my unsophisticated, whatever preferences, but just like some of the past stuff, I just find it a little boring and I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know, you know, there, there's something to be said, which is probably why like I still haven't finished Game of Thrones because when the show first started, I'm like, oh, just whatever, you know, swords and, and all this. I was super crazy. But funny that I say that because like the Winter King, which I mentioned, the Bernard Cornwell trilogy uh, that is getting adapted. I love those books. I loved them, read them, really, really dug them. I don't know what it is. So the other thing with this, basically what this movie is about, and I don't want to spoil the whole thing, even though it's, it's been out for like almost two weeks now. That the story is basically just a, a revenge story. So that I think that's that's my my main problem is, I mean, so so the basic premise of, of the movie, uh, see, I, I I just don't want to spoil too much, but basically, Skarsgård's character as a kid, you know, he's he's got Ethan Hawke's dad, he's a king, even though it's not, I mean, it takes place in in eight ninety five A.D., so even though he's a king, it's not like it's they have like the. <laughs> futuristic medieval time technology, you know, it's, he doesn't, they don't have like this big fancy castle or anything like that. So he's a King, but they don't seem like they're very well off. And especially like later when we see like, wait, you're the King and the, where's your castle? You're living in a hut basically. So the King of what King of this pile of dirt or of this field. Anyways. So he like, you know, returns Ethan Hawke as you know, this great queen, his, a great king his wife the queen is uh is um nicole kidman and you know his son is there and, and his brother's there or whatever and all this stuff like that and uh basically what happens is the king ethan hawk is with his kid he gets ambushed and he gets like attacked because I mean, you would think as a king that you would, wouldn't just walk off on your own in case something like this happens. But I guess you would trust the people around you. So he gets attacked by his brother. His brother basically wants the, the throne for himself. Then they they they, they, they kill him. He, he you know, kills his brother, goes after the kid, but the kid manages to uh, get away. And uh, he like, escapes on a boat and and he he basically swears he vows that he will avenge his father and uh he will save his mother and he'll kill his uncle and that's basically movie so then it it cuts to later where he, he's raised by vikings and he becomes like this fierce you know warrior you know this berserker or whatever he just like builds himself up and then he works his way to allow himself to become a slave so he can get closer to the to his uncle the king and everything like that and just just kind of work his his way into you know just because his, his you know he he's he's an adult now you know now it's 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 alexander skarsgård so he doesn't look like what he looked like as a eight-year-old kid or whatever he was and, you know, then eventually, you know, he meets Anya Taylor-Joy and, you know, they, they kind of get together and, you know, she's going to help him and whatever, all this stuff like that. So, that that's basically, that, without getting into more, that is basically the the heart of the story. Obviously, there, there's a lot of other, you know, other steps and, and stuff leading up to it. Like I said, very well done. You know, it's, it's just a really, really well-made movie, but it's just it's just him trying to figure out how can he get closer to his uncle because there's even like you know he does some other things and he kind of like wins his his favor and you know again working his way up to get closer and closer until he can kind of like find the right moment and he's even kind of like you know making attacks against people like in the night and you know no one knows that he's there and uh, you know, like who, who, some of the people are dying. How, how is his men getting killed? Who's doing this? And, and just, it kind of goes from there where it's going to go, where it's going to end up is like, okay, obviously there's going to be this inevitable clash. Um, there's a couple like kind of like surprises or twists and turns. Like some things don't go quite obviously as you would expect because it's not just a simple fairy tale. Like I said, you know, it's, it's, it's a well-done movie and everything. I feel like it's something that maybe, you know, I should watch again. But then on the other hand, it's like, I, I kind of don't know if I do want to watch it. You know, great performance and everything. It's just not my thing. I think if if I was with, if like someone wanted like, hey, I haven't seen this movie. I want to watch it. Then I'd be like, okay, yeah, I'll watch it again. I don't think I would necessarily, like if I'm just sitting around by myself, like, oh, I need something to watch. I'll watch The Northmen again. So I, I think, yeah, I would need an excuse to watch it. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just that for me, it's just not my cup of tea. You know, I, I just, I guess I prefer modern or, you know, beyond stuff. So I don't know if that's a bad thing. You know, it's it's like over two hours. It's, uh, it's you know, it's 137 minutes. Um, the interesting thing was it only had, the, the budget is supposedly between like 70 and 90 million. So I was like, that's it? It seems like it would be it was higher, but I don't know, maybe it a lot was CG, I don't know. And I'm I'm curious like where where it was was filmed. I, I should have looked at it. Um, I guess it was filmed in United States, China, and Japan. Is that right? Okay, that's not right. Uh, whatever Wikipedia is saying, IMDB is saying it was filmed in Iceland, Northern Ireland, yeah, Ireland, a lot of Ireland yeah, because uh, gorgeous, gorgeous locations, and, and you know, these days, obviously, you know, it's hard to say is like what's real and what's not, but it's re- really well done. So if you're into like historical Viking, you know, whatever period, uh, is it really a period piece? Like it's a, a certain period. I don't know. I, I guess when I think of period pieces, whatever, you know what I'm saying. So if you're into this type of stuff, it's it's a great movie. Action is great, uh, and like I said, just the scenery and everything, and and. I don't want to dismiss it by saying it's just a revenge story, but it, it is just a revenge story. And, you know, but there there are other ways to, to lead up to whether it's going to happen or not. And I, I'm not going to say that it's it's not a predictable movie necessarily. You know, I, I don't want to reduce it to that because, you know, there are other things that will pop up and everything. So you'll have to watch it for yourself to see, like, does he get his revenge or not? You know, could it be a twist where it's like, haha ha, you, your whole life was a failure it didn't happen or does he get the happy ending or somewhere in between so you'll have to see so I think that's all I have to say it's it's very well done um, Skarsgård uh, Anya Taylor-Joy uh, who played the uncle I, I, um, I assume it was Klaes Beng I don't know he's a Danish actor musician so uh, you should definitely check it out unless you absolutely do not like Viking stuff you know th- there is some some violence and you know there's nudity and you know stuff like that so you, you er, there's something for everyone <laughs> except maybe not something for the kids I don't know so it, it's a it's definitely an interesting movie it's brilliant production just not my favorite genre surprisingly i don't know why what it, what it is maybe it just depends on the movie I don't know but it just i i wasn't in the mood for so of the two that came out that week, whatever, I definitely enjoyed maybe it says something about me. I definitely enjoyed the unbearable weight of massive talent more than I enjoyed this. So I'm glad I saw that first. So other people might think this is a better movie. Maybe it is. It's just wasn't for me. So take that as you will. And with that, I need to end this. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm doing. Am I clapped? Yay, we're at, we've reached the end of the podcast. Big th- thanks, my throat. Uh, big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to The Secret Podcast from Heck, which is an additional 15 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And um Currently, talking about Moon Knight from 1980. I'm actually spoiler, I'm gonna talk about Werewolf by Night 32. So, we're actually taking a step back. I did Moon Knight 1, 2, and 3. We need to go back to Werewolf by Night. There's a reason for it because, uh, before we get to issue four, we should probably t- t- talk about like Werewolf by Night 32 and 33. So, you can hear about those. And Moon Knight, who we can't get enough Moon Knight. I can't get enough Moon Knight, but. If you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck. You can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. And that ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. So what is going to happen next week? So obviously, you know, we're gonna have more of the returning shows. So it should be another Superman Lois, another Flash, uh, more one episode made for love. Probably I'll do Man Who Fell to Earth. Um last episode of Moon Knight, which is uh I don't know how I'm gonna feel about it. I mean we'll see. But as far as the movie feature, there's this little movie coming out called uh what was it called again? Uh, it's uh Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness. Um I can't believe this movie's here already. I am I'm so excited for this. Um I'm hoping it's good. I don't want to hear anything about it before so, um, yeah, th- th- we'll have to see about that, so maybe, maybe what maybe uh, maybe I should just cut this here this episodes way too long. I hope you enjoyed the long episodes, and I hope you are doing well. um I hope <laughs> you have time to eat because I'm like really hungry right now. um, I hope you do some fun stuff for yourself, and I hope you remember to be good to each other.